Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to the 200th episode of Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. And I'm still Lindsay. You're still Lindsay. And we have such a big episode for you today. Uh, also, happy Independence Day. Hope our uh, American listeners get to celebrate the 4th of July. Fireworks, Finally. hot dogs, hamburgers, watermelon. Yeah. Uh if you're lucky, if you're in my household, you're getting my very famous Rice Krispie treats made with the 4th yeah. of July Rice Krispies. <laughs> I finally remembered uh, when an episode comes out that it comes out on a holiday. I always forget the holidays. Oh, don't worry. I wrote it down this time. Good job. Good job. Uh, I'm going to be telling, since we're doing a bigger episode, I'm going to be telling three stories today. Woo-hoo! Lindsay will have another two, um, and you can play a drinking game along with this one if you want. Uh, we'll chat a little at the end like we do in our Patreon bonus episodes as well and have a little cake, celebrate the ride here, reflect on this uh, scared to death journey. And in honor of hitting 200 episodes, we are doing 20% off on all Scared to Death merches, uh, merch. Merches. Merches. All the merches. All the merches between now and uh, July 9th. Nice. And then, do you want me to explain the drinking game really quick? Yeah. And just uh, if you are new-ish to the show, if you yeah. haven't listened to us talk for 200 episodes, if you go back to the 100th episode, we did this there as well. Yeah. And yeah. so this is just a little uh, take on that. Yeah. Just slight update to that. Uh, so yeah, it'll just, it'll be just like the hundredth episode, um, but with some updated lingo. So real simple. The rules would be drink every time Lindsay says, get the fuck out. Spoopy. Yikes. Uh Uh-oh. Talks about Ohio. Ah. Mentions crystals, screams, or pulls the blanket up to her neck. And you can drink every time I mispronounce something. Oh, that people are going to be wasted in five minutes. (laughs) Mention Riggins, Idaho. Yeah. You might want to go with beer or wine and not hard liquor. Or just water. (laughs) Uh, or if I make some kind of uh, sex and or masturbation reference Seems or joke. Right. Seems right. Uh, drink anytime either one of us say cool, wild, or interesting. Now, what if I just like point to my notebook instead of saying it? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that counts. Or, or um, if we have to start a sentence over again because we get stuck. Uh-huh, that happens. Mm-hmm. And then finally, um, drink if we talk about our dogs. Oh. Being busy. <laughs> or complain at all about our kids. Oh, actually, I, you know what? I don't think I'm going to complain about the kids. They're, they're being great right now. They are being great. Kyler just graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Big yeah. deal. Yeah. Kyler just graduated between uh, uh, last recording and this one. And uh, it was really, really cool. It, it was, was a really, really, cool. really fun graduation ceremony. Um, didn't get as sad. I thought I was going to get so sad, but I was just so happy. Yeah. I was yeah. just so proud. Like a yeah. lot of just like eyes welling with tears out of just like, ah, he did it. He He was so pumped. It was fun to see him with his classmates. He was jacked. Yeah. Yeah, it was so cute. We'll sob hysterically when we drop him off at college. Absolutely. That's going to be the heartbreaker. Okay, do you want to uh, do you want to preview the stories you're telling today? Yeah, sorry. I'm looking at my bubble water that has just decided to start overflowing all on its own. So that's fun. That is weird. It's been open for a little while. Okay, all right. Well, I have two spooky tales for you drink uh this week (laughs) uh the titles of my story 
story one is uh, the only house on the block. All right. And that story, I'm just going to say now as a forewarning, has a, a true crime element to it that is, I'm not going to get into a lot of graphic detail, but it's a little bit gnarly. Mm-hmm. And then my second story is entitled, Who Is It? Interesting. Wild. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, for my three, like I mentioned last week, uh, one of them will be about the Doll of Shadows. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. From the Warren's Occult Museum. Doll lore, supposed encounter story with this very creepy doll. For my second story, a quick one about the Bloodtown Forest, a.k.a. the Blood Forest, a patch of haunted woods just outside the little town of Lancaster, Massachusetts. Some locals looked into the legends and ended up scaring the hell out of themselves. And then finally, we'll look into another story associated with Ed and Lorraine Warren, Southern California's Moffat family haunting, possible demonic activity surrounding the Moffat family, where many people seem to have witnessed a lot of very hard to rationally explain occurrences. Okay. Okay, you socked up? Ready to go? Bruh, I'm totally socked up. Check out these gnomes. Mm -hmm, The 4th of July colors. They're ready to party. Yeah. All right. Well, bit of creepy lore, and then we'll just jump into this first encounter claim. Okay. Tony Spira, son-in-law of the late Ed and Lorraine Warren, curator and director of the Warren's Occult Museum and the co-director of the New England Society for Psychic Research, says of the Doll of Shadows, It's a doll made to curse other individuals. It was found in an antique shop over 25 years ago. A young couple in their 20s went into an antique shop, and in the back of the store was this doll. They didn't know what it was at the time. They thought it was just an antique, and they purchased it. It has a human tooth coming out of its mouth. There are bird feathers for hair. Human and animal bones and nails make up its body. What the heck? Tony adds, it was, it was made specifically to harm people through incantations and rituals and curses. Someone knowledgeable in the darker aspects of the occult would take a photograph of the doll and print it out. On the back of the photo, they would write down their curse, then mail it to the intended victim. And if the recipient of the curse opened the mail, saw the picture, the doll would now soon show up in the victim's dreams. They would have nightmares so terrifying that the person's heart might stop beating. Uh, Tony has kept the doll trapped inside a glass case that has been blessed at the occult museum, supposedly for the safety of the general public. Allegedly, the magic inside the doll is so powerful that if it were ever destroyed, the spirits that were summoned during its creation will follow after those involved in the doll's destruction, bringing misfortune, fear, and death. Based on what I've read online about the doll, it doesn't seem like you have to take any photos uh, of this thing to experience the doll's awful effects. The night after the young couple bought the doll home or brought the doll home from the antique shop, they had nightmares involving the doll terrorizing them. When they woke up, they were covered in scratches. The second night, the same thing happened again, but this time there weren't just scratches. There were some claws, like claw marks. After that, they decided to call the Warrens to take over the doll. The Warrens were eventually able to ascertain that a specialist in occult items, a New England broker in purchasing and selling strange and ancient things, sold the doll to some collectors who were the ones who then must have dropped the doll off at the, at the antique shop just to get rid of it. The collectors claimed that the doll affected them from the first day they walked through the door of their house with it. One anonymous online poster claims to have been one of the people who dropped the doll off at the antique shop over 25 years ago. Here is their story. Time now for the tale of the Doll of Shadows. We were young and stupid and fooling around with things we should have left alone. We'd passed by the little shop downtown on several occasions and had stopped in once before to talk to the owner out of curiosity. After seeing a little window display for 
cursed and haunted artifacts and other forbidden items of the occult. We laughed about it. We assumed the owner was going to be off the walls crazy, but he wasn't at all. He was very self-aware and understood how many would perceive his sign and shop in general. He was well-dressed, well-spoken, and had a very calm and pleasant demeanor. He reminded us of a well-liked college professor or a doctor with a good bedside manner. I don't remember everything he said, but the gist of it was that there are many things we now understand and know about the world thanks to accumulated human knowledge and scientific discovery, but there were still many other things we don't understand, magical things. Yes, much of what was considered magic in the past was superstition and folklore, but not everything. Some of it was real magic, and he tried to collect a bit of that. When I asked him why he would turn around and sell items like that, he said they weren't always his to keep. They had their own lives. He would study them, catalog them, but then oftentimes he would sell them for others to study and catalog or whatever if that's what it felt like he was supposed to do. He also said that sometimes he needed to be rid of certain items. If he didn't get rid of them, they would terrorize him, wear him down, possibly even kill him. We thought he was joking about that, but he didn't laugh. He said that all he could do was learn as much as about, about the item as possible so he could educate whoever took it from him and maybe help save them from harm. We asked him if he currently had any items he was afraid of, and he immediately pointed at the ugliest doll I've ever seen. A horrible thing made mostly of bones and feathers. The doll of shadows. He shared the legend that it was an object designed to bring misfortune, that, were you, that you were to use it as a part of a ritual involving taking a picture of the doll, writing the cursed victim's name on the back of the photo, and sending it to them. The doll would bring the victim nightmares, terrible nightmares, that would eventually lead to them dying from terror in their sleep. Crazy, right? Like the doll was Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street, mashed up with Chucky from Child's Play or something. He asked us if we wanted to see the doll up close, and we said no thanks. We had to be going. And that was true. We were meeting a friend for lunch. But also, I didn't want to touch it. I don't, I don't know that I really believed him that day, but the doll definitely creeped me out. Worse than that, it scared me a bit. Cut to six months later. In that span of time, my girlfriend's ex tried to completely ruin our lives. I'd met her weeks after they'd broken up, but he refused to believe that. He was convinced that she had cheated on him with me. This guy was obsessed with her total stalker vibes. Months after they'd broken up, right after we moved in together, which was around the time we saw the doll for the first time, he stopped by our place on a couple occasions, and we had some very ugly exchanges. After the last one, we called the police. And then, an onslaught of much sneakier and damaging harassment began. He'd printed out some nude photos of my girlfriend he'd taken when they were together and posted them all around our neighborhood, including on our front door. Some anonymous callers also spoke to the police on numerous occasions, accusing me of being a pedophile. They even called the high school I taught at. Jesus. I could have lost my job, my career, and we knew it was him. We also knew it would be real hard to completely prove that in court, or at least prove it before he completely destroyed us. He wanted to ruin us. And eventually, I thought of that doll. We were at our wits end. It truly felt like we were going crazy. We were fighting a lot. I was worried I couldn't take much more. I didn't want to let that psycho win. I didn't want to leave my girlfriend to fend for herself against him, but also I wasn't the one who brought this guy into our lives and I didn't want him to completely destroy my life. After another fight, I said, we should go get that evil doll and curse that asshole. And she said, yeah, why not? I didn't actually think it would work, but I thought it would be fun to try, maybe creep him out a bit too. We went back to that store the next morning. The owner explained the ritual to us and sold us the doll. I won't share it here, not after what happened. 
Long story short, it fucking worked. I'm not kidding. We killed him. Or it did. But we pointed it at him. We took the photo, wrote his name on the back, performed the ritual, sent it, and five days later, he was dead. Holy shit. My girlfriend reached out to an old mutual friend of theirs a few days after that and was told he had died in his sleep of a heart attack. He was 31. Their old friend said that he saw her ex the day before he died. He was covered in scratches and convinced that some doll from his dreams was trying to kill him. Some doll someone had sent him a photo of. Their friend felt terrible for not trying to get an involuntary psychiatric hold placed on him. He thought her ex had some kind of psychotic break. And maybe he had. One that we pushed him into. After that, while I'm not going to lie, we were glad, so glad to no no longer be horribly harassed by him, we also felt guilty. We did a ritual designed to curse and kill whoever is tormenting you, and it actually worked, and we killed him. We thought about taking the doll back to the shop immediately, but we didn't want him finding out about what we had done. We didn't think he would call the police. We were pretty certain he wouldn't, actually, but we were ashamed. Even though he was the one who told us what it would do, and he did sell it to us, we were still ashamed. And now that we understood its power, we didn't want more people dying. So we decided to store the doll away where no one else could find and use it. We put it in a box, taped it shut, and then tossed it up into the attic. And well, the doll of shadows really didn't seem to like that. That night, it showed up in our dreams. Our dreams were very similar. We broke up not long after this, and I don't completely remember all the exact details of hers, so I'll just share mine. I thought I'd woken up upon hearing noises from the attic turned over in bed to ask my girlfriend if she heard it too, but she wasn't there. I called out for her, didn't get an answer. Then I heard another noise from the attic, a heavy thud that shook the house just a bit and then a rhythmic creaking. I heard what sounded like a small animal, maybe a raccoon moving around up there. I got up, turned on the light in the bedroom, continued to call out for my girlfriend who continued to not answer my cries. I walked all around the house looking for her, turning on more and more lights. She wasn't anywhere in the house. The entire time I looked, I continued to hear that rhythmic creaking coming from the attic and the sound of a small animal moving about. I looked in the garage, found her car still there. She hadn't driven anywhere. Found her purse hanging in its place, found her wallet with her ID inside. So where was she? Still hearing the creaking, I finally realized in my dream what I'm sure you knew the whole time. The attic. She must be in the attic. So I pulled down the attic ladder. Without bothering to grab a flashlight, I headed up into the darkness. The creaking got louder and louder as I did so. At the far end of the attic from the entrance, I could see a large shape swinging back and forth. The sound of that, the source of that rhythmic creaking. I grabbed the string for the light, pulled it, and screamed. The shape was my girlfriend, rope around her neck, hanging dead from a rafter. She'd hanged herself. She'd hanged herself from one of two nooses, tied a few feet apart on the same rafter, while her chair was knocked over a second chair, sat upright under the unused noose. She was also covered in bloody scratches, and her face, I'll never forget that face, her mouth opened wide like she died while screaming, a silent scream that I'd never heard. She had died absolutely terrified. And then I heard movement behind me. The ladder entrance was retracting. I turned to head back towards the ladder to stop it and get down, but it was too late. A small shape scurried past me, headed back towards my now dead girlfriend. It was the doll of shadows. It was the source of the animal sounds I'd been hearing. 
and now right after staring at me, it climbed up the wall across the ceiling like a spider and it smashed out the light. Then it jumped on me, its bony hands and sharp claw-like fingers scratching and slashing and tearing at my flesh. I fought it as best as I could while I screamed in fear and pain, and then the evil little thing suddenly grew. It was now a monster the size of a large man, and it started to drag me across the floor. I was powerless against it. It dragged me over to that second chair. It lifted me up, placed my neck in the noose. My feet felt for the chair, and then it let go and just let me stand there in the darkness. I could feel it watching me. I could feel it and smell its hot, putrid breath. Just a few feet away, I could hear it breathe, a wet, rotten sound, and then it would roar while kicking the chair out from under me. I would feel my neck break, I'd feel the panic of being unable to breathe, and then I would wake up sucking in a giant breath of air covered in sweat. That happened three nights in a row. After the first night, I was ready to give that doll back. My girlfriend was more reluctant. I think she wanted to believe we were just having nightmares because we felt guilty. I think she also wanted to prove that the doll couldn't actually kill anybody. But after three nights, after we both woke up with some scratches, she was utterly terrified and truly afraid that she was going to die. And I was at a point where I was going to take that thing back whether she wanted me to or not. The owner was not shocked when we told him what had happened. And we told him everything. It felt good to get it off our chests. He was a little surprised by the scratches. I believe he smirked and said, I'll be damned. It's really true. And that was that. We didn't even try and sell it back. We just let it, left it with him. He took it out of the box before we departed. I wanted to scream when I saw it. I immediately felt sick. But once we left, our nightmare was over. We broke up a few weeks later. The strain of the terribleness of what we'd been involved in was just too much. And even though her nightmares stopped, or at least she told me they did, she never really recovered. I haven't looked around online to see how she's doing in years. We don't share the same friends. I'm afraid to poke around. I'm worried I'll find out her life ended just like it did in my nightmare. And I'm worried enough about my own life that I've refused to sleep in any house that has an attic ever since I left that one. Oh my God. Some nightmare. Yeah. I wonder if you could get in trouble for that. Yeah. Because you can't like prove that. Curses aren't illegal. Well, maybe they should be. <laughs> That's creepy as shit. Mm-hmm. I was getting confused for a second because you were you said that they broke up, but then you said that, that she hung herself, and I was like, wait, I thought they broke up. Wait, is this a dream? Is this real? Is this happening? Oh yeah, he was saying they like they had nightmares, shared nightmares yeah. before they broke up. Yeah, I lost track. I was <clears throat> too scared of the creepy ass doll with the weird human tooth. I know. I have a few pictures. I don't want to see it. This first one, yeah, just a picture of the Doll of Shadows from the Warren's Occult Museum. God damn, that thing is fucking creepy. Oh my god. Also, what is that? other thing i know that like mannequin behind it's like a like that, a bridal gown or something god that thing is so scary and then uh, this next one a close-up shot of the dollar shadow's face oh i don't think so why 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 i see a little human tooth you can see little nails coming out of its hand the bird feathers around its head weird oh, little eyes i feel like it has human eyes mm -hmm. oh it's so uncomfortable i know its eyes feel real and then one more pick of this monster God bless America. Yeah, it's a really, really creepy and little is it, doll. And it's feathers for hair? Mm-hmm. Bird feathers for hair. Stop looking at it. <laughs> aye, it's going like, to bore into your soul. Aye, aye, aye. And where is it now? Is it the Warrens Museum? Yeah, so it's out in Connecticut, the Warrens Museum, which uh, I can't remember if it's open right now or not. It hasn't been open much the past few years. The, like COVID? Yeah, and I, don't, and I don't know if it really fully reopened after COVID. Well, maybe it's better that way. Mm -hmm. maybe Might just we... be like private showings or something. My God. Uh, That's a really creepy little doll. Have you ever 
had the feeling of uh, like needing to give something to somebody, like something that you own or like if you ever been somewhere like in a gift shop or just any kind of store and been like, oh my God, I ap- this person in my life absolutely needs that. And I don't mean like a joke gift, like something like really sort of speaks to you. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. A- anytime I see a llama, I have to pick it up for, for Kate. Kate. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But like- And I've done that, that with you in the past. Like we've had like little like- gifts you know, it's been a while yeah. like themes but but never <laughs> but never um yeah never just like randomly drawn to some item where i have to and, and then have to give it to somebody i wonder what that is because that does happen to me regularly yeah. like uh and it's just like little things in in life where it could be a card it could be a small trinket uh, sometimes it's something more significant where mm-hmm. i just see something and i'm like oh my god like i don't know how to explain like this like uh it's not a voice in my head, you know, it's not yeah. like a, but it, it's like a very strong. Is it just a compulsion? Maybe, but sometimes it's something that I already like own, you know, where maybe it's like a closet clean out mm. or I'm like, you know, digging for something and then I find something else and I'm like, oh my God, so-and-so needs to have that. It doesn't feel of my body or of my mind. It feels like a a different sort of connection to something that I know that I need mm. to like rid myself of yeah. or bring to the forefront for somebody else. Hmm. Huh. I don't know. When you said that, it just really stuck with me. It's wild. It's cool. <laughs> um, and? Interesting. Drink, drink, drink. Uh, I did write down, also I thought, I mean, it's not funny, but funny. It's like these people are being literally scared to death. Yeah. This, yeah, is, yeah, like, yeah. this is like our theme story. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah good good uh, catch there. Okay. And then lastly, on the, just on a practical side with the psycho ex-boyfriend yes i don't know the era in which this happened yeah they don't say but i'm like you guys get cameras like if this guy because they were like oh we couldn't prove it i'm like bullshit you could prove that you were being stalked by somebody and that they were doing these things uh photos where were the photos printed like i mean you can trace things and when it comes to stuff like this and i just want to say this like having lived through domestic abuse and like these kinds of things, it is so important that you document these things happening. Like if you find yourself currently in a situation where you're like, no one's ever going to believe me, the thing that you have to do, it is so very important is to keep track of it. And every time something happens, you go to the police because God forbid it escalates to the next level where there is contact now right. you now there's a record it's really so important it's so important i can see with that with this level of sneakiness like the online stuff though this frustration where it's like yes we and you should we can go to the authorities but it's going to take a while uh you know who knows how long in the court process meanwhile if he's like slandering us with anonymous phone calls and you know you posting things online can. you can but the damage is still done i'm not saying it's not but yeah. my point is is that if you are consistently documenting it on whether you're yeah. writing it down in your phone on a piece of paper and also alerting the authorities. The The fear, the concern is that these behaviors tend to escalate. Oh, totally. And then that you person that. is going to physically harm you and or kill you. Yeah. And so that is the worst case outcome. However, if that, even if that ends up being the outcome, yeah. well, now there's this track record absolutely. and then that person could be prosecuted. Oh, absolutely. I still see their incentive for doing what they did though. Oh, I'm not saying there wasn't a reason to do yeah. it. I'm like, but there was also other things yes. that you should have been doing alongside that of like, and like telling your friends and like letting it get back to 
uh, because it, the ex-girlfriend was still friends with the ex-boyfriend's friends. Like there was yeah, still yeah, some yeah. crossover. It's like, let him know that you know what's going on. Totally. And then totally. the current boyfriend, it's like, yeah, you have to go to the principal of the school and be like, hey, we're in this really ugly situation. Yep. There's so much that you need to do. And, and maybe, I, maybe he did. Maybe he did. Yeah. I just was really mad but at yes. them for not setting up cameras. <laughs> you guys. Oh, and then I felt my own guilt because we, as a teenager, I did some naughty things. Oh, boy. You ready to head to Massachusetts? Learn about a creepy forest now? Or do you have more uh, dollar headed, shadows? You're headed to Massachusetts. Now. I am. I am. We of, are headed there, too. Yeah. Um, okay. So a little bit of setup, and then we are in Bloodtown Forest, a.k.a. Blood Forest, just outside the little town of Lancaster, Massachusetts, has long been rumored to be haunted. Blood Forest? Mm-hmm. Disembodied screams have claimed to have been heard for many decades, or by many for decades. Screams said to be heard both day and night. Apparitions have been sighted at all hours of the day, and one couple were reportedly killed there while camping in mysterious circumstances. 125 acres of land were donated in 1946 by Arthur W. Blood. This added to some land that the town already owned, brought the amount to the to 150 acres, making up the original Bloodtown Forest. The city was able to purchase a lot more land in subsequent years, and now the forest has approximately 600 acres today. The official name for this nature reserve is the Lancaster Town Forest, but many know it as either Bloodtown Forest or simply as Blood Forest. According to some local rumors, Arthur Blood was a mentally unstable serial killer who once hunted people on his land, and when he killed them, he'd hang their bodies from the trees. Ew. Urban legend? Possibly, if not probably. Historical records certainly do not support these claims. However, numerous people have claimed to see what appears to be phantom and mutilated bodies hanging from branches. Here is one person's account of what someone and two of their friends said they experienced in this eerie nature preserve roughly 50 years ago. Time now for the tale of the Blood Forest. I went there in the early 1970s with two friends. We were all in our late teens. It was late in the afternoon when we arrived, several hours before sunset. We were feeling brave, just not brave enough to head into the woods at night. We weren't actually expecting to experience anything, just hoping maybe we'd get a little lucky. Or perhaps a little unlucky. We'd been hearing the rumors about screams and sights from others around town ever since we were little kids. We'd all grown up in the Lancaster area, and now we finally wanted to see for ourselves if there was anything to it. It was a particularly hot day, and the birds were especially talkative. There were a lot of them, too, dozens and dozens, lined the branches of so many of the trees, but only at the edge of the forest. A little ways in, the forest quickly fell silent, eerily silent. No more birds. A little breeze we'd felt when we first walked in was gone, too, and no rustling of any leaves. No bugs, either, not even a grasshopper. I normally wouldn't have even noticed something like that, but the strange quiet got to me. And once I didn't notice the birds or the wind, I started really paying attention to what I could hear and see. I started looking for other signs of the forest, you know, looking and sounding like a forest. All we could hear were the twigs and leaves crunching underneath our feet. It was like all of a sudden we were the only living creatures around. And as we made it further into the forest, I started to think that the rumors had really gotten my mind racing when I looked up in a tree and swore I saw some blood. There was definitely something dripping from one of the branches, and it didn't look like sap. It looked red, and it wasn't nearly as thick as tree sap. I looked over at my friends, and it was clear they hadn't noticed it. I shook my head and took a deep breath. I looked down to the ground and then back up to where the blood was, and now it was gone. Since none of my friends seemed to have noticed, I didn't say anything about it. I was convinced I was just seeing things affected by the heat. It really was a scorcher that day. 
and all the stories I'd heard. I decided I'd wait to see if I saw something else before I went and freaked everyone out. A few minutes later, as we reached a more dense part of the forest, I began to hear muffled voices talking around me. I realized we were in the area now of the old home of Mr. Blood. I looked around to try and spot some hikers or something, but saw no source for the voices. I couldn't make out what they were saying, but there were two or three distinct voices, clearly in a conversation. Now I had to tell my friends. I turned to them and asked if they heard anything. They didn't. When they asked me what I was hearing, I just said, I I don't know. It might have just been a car in the distance or something. I didn't want to tell them I'd heard voices and have them think I was more spooked than they were, or have them suddenly say they were hearing voices now too. Power of suggestion and all that. I talked to a girl who was a descendant of Mr. Blood before our visit, and she told me he didn't kill anyone, that all the serial killer talk was nothing more than made-up stories, urban legends told to scare people like me. She said that if there were any ghosts in the forest, they weren't the ghosts of anyone who had been hanged. She thought the spirits were most likely the ghosts of people killed by Native Americans in the 1700s. She may have been onto something based on what I saw next. As we went further still into the forest, now I saw a girl standing under a tree. She looked so real that for a second, I thought there actually was a real girl out by herself in the woods. She was in full color right in front of me, about 20 yards away, just as solid it seemed as my friends and I were. But when I noticed how she was dressed, I knew I was looking at a ghost. She was wearing pilgrim clothing. I grabbed the sleeve of one of my friends, pulled her around to ask her if she saw her too, but in that split second, the girl vanished. I was starting to think I was going crazy, but then the friend I had just grabbed now pointed into the distance and asked, do you see her? I hadn't said anything about seeing a girl at this point. I didn't see anything where she was pointing, and then sounding shocked, she said, she's gone. She was just right there. We each shared what we saw now, and she described what sounded like the exact same ghost I had just seen. Then our other friend asked if we'd heard anything. When I said, like what? She said, like a few people talking to each other. I was starting to get uneasy now, my breath catching heavy in my throat. We were all spooked, but we carried on walking to the woods, though every instinct told me to turn back. I should have listened. We came upon a small clearing, and there were some remnants of someone's camping trip laying around. The trees seemed to form a perfect circle around the little clearing. As we examined it out of nowhere, we all heard a blood-curdling scream. Instinctively, we all grabbed each other, looking around for the source of the sound. It didn't seem to come from one direction, but from all around us and from above us up in the air. We heard it again and clung harder to each other. Slowly turning our heads around to find the source of the screams, our eyes soon all rest on the same spot. We could all clearly see the apparition of a man hanging from a tree. He wasn't solid like the girl, but you could easily make out his shape. He wasn't some shadow. More like a regular guy, just translucent. You could both see him and see through him. His head hung to the side and blood seemed to be dripping from where his arm was missing. Why was his arm missing? That was the worst part. We all screamed in unison and ran so fast out of that place, we could hardly breathe by the time we made it back to my car. Needless to say, we never returned for another visit. Wimps. (laughs) So it's a little quick one there. Yeah. Weird stuff in the woods. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, d- I do wonder uh, if it is folklore or if there's some truth to Mr. Blood. I mean, it'd be very Probably hard. folklore. Pro- I was thinking it's like, how could you not create folklore around a name like that? I know, I know. I'm sure his name played into it. Maybe he was kind of odd. That, that often happens. He's if, a, if he was like a hermit, if he was like uh, eccentric, a living alone. Special. Yeah, like living out there by himself. That's who people tend to, you know, especially in small towns, make, make up rumors about. Do you think people would make, would make up rumors about you if you still lived in your small town? Uh, if I lived alone, if I lived alone out there, a hundred percent, 
Hundred percent. Oh, we should try it out. Let's move you to Riggins for a year. We'll <laughs> Some social experiment. We'll build a weird little cabin just oh, a yeah. little bit oh, outside of town. Hundred percent. Get people talking. Uh-huh. I would be a devil worshiper. Yeah. I'd be a, a warlock or something. Absolutely. And then I can come. You're already known as a cult leader, so you have right? to lean into. Right. Oh my god, that would be so funny. Those rumors would affect it. I can come to town just every so often. Yeah. Just be like, I don't know. She comes all dressed in black. <laughs> would be so. Your grandmother would be so mad at us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She, she would not find the humor. Now, if yeah. Papa Ward was still alive, he He'd would think it was funny. funny. Oh yeah, he think it was great. Oh yeah, the rumor mill would be going oh, full tilt. Man, be so fun. Uh, a few pics. Uh, this first one is a picture of the main entrance to some trails in this forest. There's a marker there against that tree in the center. Okay, I mean, it doesn't look like anything. Yeah, just some woods. You know, just. The forest. Uh, uh, here's a close-up of that marker. It says, Lancaster Bloodtown Forest, established 1946, Wheelwright Memorial Entrance. 1946? I mean, it's not even really that old. Huh, not at all. That's why I think it's probably Urban Legends, too, because like this Mr. Blood guy, it's not like he lived 200 years ago. Right. Uh, here's another entrance, gated entrance to this oh. nature preserve. You can see how thick the trees and the brushes, you know, and just like any thick forest, just a... A strange place to notice anything becoming eerily silent. Well, and it is pretty. Oh, yeah. You know, 100%. just like the fall. And then you can yep. see there's some headstones there immediately yep, to the right when you walk in. Yeah. And little, that would, that's like a, that would be such a great photo shoot spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really pretty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do love East Coast Forest. <laughs> Any uh, questions on that one? Um, bu- 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 oh, yeah, just not, not a question, but just a, a comment like that silence in the forest you know that's something i never ever considered like as a as how do i want to say this that's something i never experienced or ever thought as being an option out in the forest you know not that i spent so much time in the wilderness but once we started this show that theme comes up Mm -hmm. so often and i remember early on in the show we were really caught off guard by it because you were like god like i grew up around so much woods so much forest so much hiking so much camping and you'd never experienced that either. And it really like, it really bothered us. And now we're, I think we're just accustomed to like, oh yeah, that's just a thing yeah, a that happens jaded, now. Yeah. yeah, but it, uh, I don't know. We haven't gone camping in so, so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the forest is always, ma- I mean, yeah, there's just so many little critters and yeah. uh, and just the trees, you know, like a thick forest with trees, like the wind, any kind of mm-hmm. breeze moving the them. Rustling. Mm-hmm, rustling, you know, any kind of like squirrel moving through the branches is going to knock things off. Bugs, there's always something. Something. And to hear nothing would be super eerie. Yeah, it would be super eerie to be like out on a lake and also not hear anything. I was thinking yeah. about like our lake, the way it is surrounded by uh, there's homes and then uh-huh. there's forest. And then, I mean, just the ripple of the water. What if you were out in the middle of Lake Coeur d'Alene and it just got totally silent? Yeah. You were just on a Freaky. paddleboard. And obviously there's no like sharks or anything. I mean, there's no actual things to be afraid of in that lake. Yeah, it would feel ominous. Oh my God, I'd be so scared. I wouldn't even want to put my paddle in the water because I'd be afraid that something was going to come up and grab it. Yeah. I would just have to hope that I float to the shore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That would would be a really good backdrop for a horror story. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Okay. And you said, did you say you have three? Yeah, I do. Okay. Tell me one more, Dan. So now it's time for my third story. It's on the longer side, packed full of paranormal claims. Before I tell it, time for a quick in-between story sponsor break. Please take advantage of these sponsor deals. Use our codes and landing pages so you save money. And we keep getting sponsored. Keep it going. Thanks for listening, creeps and peepers. Now to the Moffitt family haunting. How do you spell that? M-O-F-F-I-T-T. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Moffitt. I, I was doing Little Miss Muffet sat on a <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not much setup on this one before I start sharing alleged paranormal events. Okay. During the late 80s, early 90s in Southern California, 
the Moffat family reportedly were plagued for seven years by the same terrifying entity. Okay, guys. I know. I know what you're thinking. They're worried Get about the a fuck out. Get the fuck out. Maybe though. Maybe. You'll, well, you'll see. You'll see. Uh, paranormal investigators and religious figures fled one after another. Even Ed and Lorraine Warren told the Moffats there was nothing they could do to help the family. Deborah had met her husband, Bill, in the early 80s after exchanging letters and videotapes in the early days of dating agencies. Oh, cute. After their courtship, Deborah and Bill got married and moved in with his parents in a house on Archibald Avenue. The Moffat family actually owned three houses on this street. The house at the end of the street was occupied by Lee's elderly grandmother, Dominica. The middle house was owned by Lee and Bill Sr., Bill's parents, with Bill and Deborah also now living there. Uh, Bill didn't live alone thanks to suffering from a serious heart condition. The next house in the row was owned by Bill, who rented it out while he lived with his parents. And by the time Deborah moved in, Dominica had been struggling for some time with health issues, and the family had hired a caretaker, a Juanita, to come over nearly every day to help out. Deborah claims that the source of the family's paranormal torment began with Juanita. Time now for the tale of no escape. Juanita was rumored to practice Santeria, and Deborah believes she performed a ritual inside the house that opened a doorway of some sort to the paranormal realm. Juanita apparently was on a work visa that allowed her to stay in America only while she had her job. In 1984, as Dominica's health declined, Deborah thinks Juanita grew worried that if Dominica died, she would have to leave the country. She thinks Juanita performed a ritual with the intention of having the gods give Dominica good health. But unfortunately, not long after the ritual, Dominica passed away. The very next morning after Dominica's passing, Bill Sr. and Lee received a panicked phone call from Juanita. She screamed into the phone, claiming that something was chasing her inside the house. She was speaking mostly in Spanish, was hysterical. They had a hard time understanding exactly what she was saying, what she was afraid of. Bill headed over to investigate. As he walked out of his front door, he claims he saw Juanita literally running down the road, being followed by what looked like a glowing white orb. And then he watched as the orb shot up into the sky and disappeared. Juanita walked back toward Bill Sr.'s, now deceased mother-in-law's home. Bill took Juanita inside of his house, tried to calm her, but she was inconsolable. She was still unable to describe, at least in English, exactly what was chasing her. They were able to figure out that whatever it was, it didn't appear as a white orb to her, but they still couldn't understand exactly what she had seen. A few minutes later, a friend came to pick her up, and she looked like she couldn't wait to leave. On her way out of the door, Juanita turned to Lee, Dominica's daughter, and said, Do not go back into your mother's house. There was only evil there. Bill Sr. soon hired a cleanup crew to clean out Dominica's house, and that's when evidence of possible Santeria rituals were found. The men cleaning the house found lots of candles, some small ceremonial-looking daggers, and the remains of various sacrificed animals. Oh. Despite all of this and Dominica's dramatic exit after being chased by that orb, over the next few years, everything was calm. But then in 1987, the energy around Archibald Avenue began to shift. Uh, the family first noticed strange events in the house that Bill rented out to a man named Danny. Although Danny was living there, Bill still kept one room for himself to store his large collection of sports memorabilia. Okay. And one day, Bill walked into that room to find all of his collectible bobbleheads on the floor in the shape of a triangle with a sort of S-shaped tail coming off of it. He didn't think too much of it at first, although Danny insisted he had never been in that room, and Bill was good about keeping it locked. Soon, the entity would move into another Moffat house. In Bill's parents' house, the one occupied by the two couples, Lee had an altar set up, a Catholic altar, and this altar was the site of the next paranormal events. Lee was a devout Catholic and would kneel in front of her altar covered in candles and religious statues to pray every night before bed. 
and one morning she woke up to find articles of her clothing placed in the hands of a statue of Jesus there. Soon after this, objects belonging to Danny from next door would appear on the altar. His wallet, keys, various household objects. This freaked both Danny and the family out. They kept the house locked. Danny didn't have the keys. He couldn't get in. And why would he lock his own stuff in his landlord's house? Bill and Deborah had keys to Danny's house, but no one ever saw one of them sneak into Danny's home alone to grab his wallet or keys. And why would they ever do that? Uh, Bill would always return the objects next door when they showed up. Everyone was so confused. How could the objects just materialize like that? Eventually, weirded out by his personal possessions continuing to show up next door, Danny moved out. Who could blame him? When Bill then went to clean out the house and get it ready for the arrival of new tenants, he found strange markings on the light switches drawn in crayon. Many of the markings were that same odd triangle with a tail, the symbol he'd first encountered in his sports memorabilia room. Later that same day, Lee, who was helping with the cleanup, noticed a high shelf with a row of ornamental dogs sitting on top of it. She liked the cute little figurines and admired them for for a moment. Then she turned around to carry on with her tasks. When she looked at the shelf again, a few minutes later, she was startled. All the dogs had been turned to face the wall now. But no one else had been in the room since she'd seen them the first time. The next day, Deborah walked into Bill Jr.'s house to find a lamp in the middle of of the bedroom floor that she was certain hadn't been there before. Thinking about it, as she made her way downstairs, she settled in the kitchen, called out into the air, asking if anything was there. If it was, as proof of its presence, she asked it to move something else. She waited a few minutes, but nothing happened. But then when she entered the dining room, she found the table had been moved clear across the room. Following this, things seemed to calm down again, and some new tenants, Michelle and Tom, moved into Bill's rental. Or maybe things did not calm down at all. Maybe whatever was in that house was terrorizing the new couple living there. A few months later, Deborah saw Michelle outside tending to her garden with a bruised, swollen face. Michelle told Deborah in a hushed voice that ever since moving into that house, Tom had changed. She said he'd always been quiet and laid back, but shortly after they moved in, she said he'd become increasingly aggressive and violent, and she didn't know why. And then just a week later, Michelle disappeared. (gasps) Tom said she'd broken up with him, left in the middle of the night. A few weeks later, Tom also disappeared, and the Moffat family never saw or heard from either one of them again. They just broke their lease and vanished. Soon, though, the Moffats found out what happened to at least one of them, and it was not good really not good. A strange man came looking for Tom within a few weeks of him moving out. When Deborah informed the man that Tom had left and no longer lived there, he shared the reason for his visit. He said he was there to pass on his condolences after Michelle's body was found in a landfill, wrapped up in a rug. She'd been murdered. Deborah felt sick. When the family had gone to the house to do another cleanup, they had been pleasantly surprised at the state of the house. Everything was immaculate except for one strange detail. A large rug belonging to the Moffats had disappeared from the living room. Now she knew where it had gone. Michelle had been killed in Bill's house. This new horrific discovery led to the Moffats selling all three of their houses on Archibald Avenue. Uh, The package sale went through at the end of 1987, and on the last day moving their belongings from their old house to their new house, Deborah and Lee heard what sounded like a large explosion coming from the kitchen. Running in to investigate, they found that all the cupboards, literally all of them, had been ripped off the walls. And then while standing in the middle of the mess of broken wood, they heard another loud noise come from upstairs. sounded like breaking glass. Both women were horror-struck when they found all the windows of an upstairs bedroom shattered from the inside out. They couldn't be more ready to move and put all of this behind them. The first few weeks in their new home 
were wonderful. Life was free once more from the paranormal. The Moffats felt certain that they had left whatever entity was bothering them behind. But of course, because I'm telling the story here, their torment was not over. In January of 1988, strange things started happening all over again. It started slowly. Initially, objects were being moved, but only slightly. So slightly that at first the family thought they were just being paranoid. When they thought a doll was maybe facing in a different direction than it was earlier that day. Or that a chair was now a foot or so away from where they were sure it was normally set. And nobody could recall moving it. Then the noises started. Once the noises returned, they felt defeated. They weren't being paranoid. They were being haunted again. Whatever they tried to escape from on Archibald Avenue had followed. Now in the middle of the night, in their new home, they would all be woken by distant screams. Once awake, they'd often hear voices whispering their names. And then they found the first of what would be many messages. One day, Lee went into the bathroom and found a message on the mirror, written in soap. It said, talk to me. Oh, nope. Lee decided to do just that. She gathered the rest of the family. They all made their way into the bathroom. She wiped the message off the mirror and told whatever it was that they were ready to communicate. When nothing happened, they went next door and sat on Bill Sr.'s bed for a few minutes. Nothing happened there either. But then upon re-entering the bathroom, they found a new message on the mirror. It read, No escape. Oh my God. More messages would appear in the mirror over the following weeks. Deborah went into the bathroom one morning and found the word fools. A few days later, I hate Lee. Following that, a threat. Lee, die. Worried and scared for his wife, Bill Sr. went into the bathroom one day and yelled out, Who are you? The entity answered with one word, Prince. Prince who? Prince of what? Bill Sr. now reached out to a local Catholic church and arranged for a priest to come over to their new house and perform a blessing. And that would kind of happen. According to the Moffats, the priest almost didn't make it past the front door. They said that upon, that upon arriving on the doorstep, the priest looked extremely uncomfortable and refused to go any further. After a few minutes of calming himself down, he finally gathered up the courage to enter, but after just a couple of steps inside, he stopped. He sprinkled holy water where he stood, said a quick prayer, left the house in a big rush. The priest's visit seemed to anger the entity as the activity in the house intensified immediately following his reluctant visit. The spirit was now writing messages several times a day. Symbols also began appearing around the house, especially that strange triangle shape with the tail. That symbol would now show up carved into walls. Pentagrams and upside-down crosses appeared as well. Lee, the most religious member of the family, was definitely the primary target of the entity's malignancy. Her altar would be destroyed almost daily. She and Bill Sr. would go to bed to find only their, uh, to find their blankets strewn about or their mattress actually torn. The atmosphere on the second floor of their house, where their bedroom was located, became so oppressive they ended up abandoning that level of their home. Bill Sr. and Lee moved into the bedroom downstairs. They shared it now with their son and daughter-in-law, Bill Jr. and Deborah. The family felt safer together, and so far the entity had seemed to leave Deborah alone, and it would also leave Lee alone if she was near Deborah, it seemed. But whenever Lee was by herself, even on the first floor, the entity would find and torment her. Lee was reading a Bible for comfort one day when a message appeared on the first floor bathroom mirror that said, God's fairy tale. Lee started speaking in Italian whenever she was speaking to her husband, hoping maybe this would confuse the entity. Instead, messages now started to appear in Italian. At this point, the family were at their wit's end. They'd move, they'd move again, but what good would that do? They were convinced the entity would just follow them once more. Deborah and Lee instead started thoroughly researching the paranormal and trying to find professionals to help them, spending hours in libraries and at paranormal conventions. 
Meanwhile, the activity in their new home started getting violent. Objects began being thrown across rooms. Kitchen knives started appearing in places where Lee was going to be sitting or lying down. One night, she went to get into bed and found six kitchen knives with their handles embedded into the mattress. So the blades were pointing up. Their home was also now full of new smells. The stink of shit or sulfur would arise out of nowhere. There was so much activity. Knockings and scratches were being constantly heard coming from the walls. The local population of birds seemed to have increased exponentially. Numerous birds started flying head-on into their windows, occasionally hard enough to leave a trail of blood dripping down the glass. And they started seeing rats, strange rats that wouldn't run and hide when spotted. Rats who would stare back defiantly and seem to watch the family. One day, Deborah went into the bathroom stressed and flustered and begged the entity to please make the rats go away and then no rats were ever seen again. They had no idea why the entity would seem to show them any mercy. This act of mercy was rare. In general, it only seemed to want to antagonize the family. Not long after the disappearance of the rats, the entity started bringing things, trinkets and such, into the home from places they had visited. And when the family would go on their first vacation while living in their new house, new house, they found symbols on the hotel walls, including that S with the tail. Damn. The entity seemed to be making it clear that wherever they went it would follow, that it could go wherever they had been. There would be, as it had once written, no escape. Lee and Deborah eventually came into contact with a Native American shaman named Red Wing, who, after hearing their stories, went to speak with her elder and was granted permission to visit the family in their home and try and help. Red Wing and another tribal member known as Fire Panther arrived the next day. Fire Panther burned sage, began walking around the house, wafting the smoke into every corner and crevice he could find with a feather. On the first floor, neither Fire Panther nor Red Wing came across any entity or any concerning energy. But something strange happened when they went upstairs. The smoke that Fire Panther tried wafting towards the attic was bouncing back down as if something up there were rejecting it. He told the family that they would have to go up into the attic and confront the entity. Deborah now accompanied Fire Panther and Red Wing into the attic. Fire Panther again started burning sage and chanting. As he did, Deborah saw a bit of the insulation on the wall began to shift around and change shape. She'd say she wasn't sure at first if her eyes were playing tricks on her, but then the movement became more obvious. The insulation twisted and contorted into the shape of a face, with a kind of twisted horn coming out of it. Deborah looked on in horror as it held its new shape for about a minute before falling onto the floor and disintegrating in a cloud of dust. Unfortunately, this attempt at chasing whatever the entity was out of the house was unsuccessful. Fire Panther informed the family that whatever they were dealing with, it was just too, too strong. Super weird, he did say he managed to remove a manifestation of evil from inside of Bill Sr. and transfer it into the family dog. The Moffats were, as you can imagine, not quick to believe this claim, but then a few days later, the dog inexplicably passed away, and their paranormal torment continued. At the end of 1988, a paranormal researcher by the name of Gary Kent offered to come stay with the family and see if he could be of any help. The entity immediately made it clear that it did not like Gary being around. From the moment he came into the house, it turned its attention away from Lee and towards Gary. Gary would find his clothes and belongings destroyed. Threatening messages would appear on the bathroom mirror, along with personal information he hadn't shared with the Moffats. Stuff they wouldn't know to write about. The entity, and I find this pretty funny since it's not happening to me, would even write messages apparently accurately tormenting Gary about his sex life and penis size. That's a new one. After just a few nights in the office new home, Gary found knives embedded in his mattress one evening, the same way they were once a period or they once appeared in Lee's, blade up. 
The next morning at breakfast, a strange sipping noise could be heard that sounded like scissors, or excuse me, snipping noise, and Gary's hair began falling (gasps) out in clumps under the table. He ran into the yard, hair still falling from his head, and then he was gone. That was understandably the last straw for Gary. He grabbed his things and left. Shortly after that debacle, the growing family contacted famed demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren. The Warrens came very highly recommended, and the family thought if anyone could help, it would be them. The couple arrived at the house, and Lorraine did a walkthrough to see if she could pick up on any psychic energies. She soon told the family they were dealing with a very powerful ancient demon. The Warrens returned the next night to conduct a rite of provocation ritual, designed to get the demon to identify itself, so they could then have power over it and get it to leave. The family and the Warrens gathered on the floor in the shape of the letter U, and Ed began to pray. And shortly after he began, Bill Sr.'s body began to unnaturally contort. He started to lean forward, his spine curling in a way that was painful to watch. It looked like his back was about to break. And then he suddenly lifted his head and began growling and snarling at Ed. Ed protected himself by holding the Holy Cross out in between he and Bill, and he prayed and prayed until Bill's body fell limp. Then, sadly for the Moffats, Ed informed the family he was unable to gain any real power over the demon to remove it. It was too strong. He said that the entity had possessed Bill Sr., and while he was able to force it back out of Bill's body, he and Lorraine were not able to force it out of the home. Deborah, who was a mother now, she and Bill had a child and would soon have more children, ran into the bathroom and pleaded with the entity to harm, to not harm her family, to please just leave them alone, and the entity replied with, I will not touch your child. I will not touch your husband, but Lee belongs to me. What the fuck? More messages followed throughout the day, and they told a story set in the 16th century in a monastery. According to what the entity wrote, some monks had kidnapped a nun in order to perform some kind of blood ritual. The nun had escaped, and the entity claimed that in a past life, Lee was that nun, and now her blood was rightfully his. At the end of these messages, things took the most sinister turn yet, with the next message on the mirror reading, Lee will die in 10 days. The family were now more worried than ever. They made sure that Lee was never left alone. But still, on the final day of the countdown, Lee was rushed to the hospital with pneumonia and congestive heart failure. Things were not looking good as Lee drifted in and out of consciousness in the hospital bed. However, the entity's prediction would not quite come true. She was very sick, but she would not die, not yet. It took three weeks before she showed any signs of improvement. And then she slowly regained her strength and eventually was allowed back home to stay with her family. During Lee's long stay in the hospital, the entity left the rest of the family alone. The house was quiet, and Lee later told Deborah why. She said the thing followed her to the hospital. She claimed that while she was drifting in and out of consciousness, she kept seeing black stains appear on the ceiling that seemed to be trying to materialize into the shape of a man. She was convinced it was the entity trying to make sure she died in the hospital. Once Lee returned home, paranormal activity returned. On her first day back, the entity severed her oxygen tank tubes. A few days later, her son-in-law, Bill Sr., uh, or Bill Jr., uh, woke up screaming convinced that something uh, cold and sharp had scraped against his leg, and that he found what cut him. It was an old-looking dagger that no one in the family had ever seen before. Shortly after this disturbing attack, a new message appeared on the bathroom mirror saying the blood ritual must be performed. The entity gave instructions on how to use the blade to perform the ritual, but of course the family refused. Later, they would take the blade to the Museum of Natural History in Los Angeles, where they claimed they were told it was an ancient ritualistic spear tip from the Congo. And then this weird story gets even weirder. Nearing the end of 1989, the family now made contact with a woman named Evelyn. Evelyn identified herself as a paranormal expert and also a practitioner of witchcraft. 
When she came to the house, she showed the family various protection symbols for them to draw on the mirror. A new message from the entity appeared on the mirror directly following one of these symbols being drawn that said, fuck you, you lied to my family. After her investigation of the home, Evelyn unfortunately told them the entity uh, was one of the seven princes of hell and that nothing could be done to remove it. And she said it was Bill Sr.'s fault. She accused Bill of having made some sort of deal with the demon, that he invited it into their lives. Lee would hear none of this. They were a deeply religious family. She felt like there was no way that her husband would ever make a deal with a literal demon to harm her. But Deborah wasn't so sure. She'd say she'd been noticing for a while that Bill Sr.'s behavior had been changing. Something was seeming more and more wrong with him. Did he conspire with whatever entity came through the door Juanita may have opened? Not long after having another expert tell them there was nothing they could do to help the Moffat family, a previous expert who had visited the family, paranormal researcher Gary Kent, the guy whose hair was cut and tormented, returned for round two. He offered to stay with the Moffats again, and they accepted his offer. But shortly after he arrived, the entity left a message saying that he would accept Gary's blood in place of Lee's now. Now the entity seemed to want Gary to die, and Gary left again. Meanwhile, in passing, Lee mentioned to Deborah that Bill Sr. was looking for uh, some of Lee's bank statements. Although the two were married, they separated their finances and kept separate bank accounts. When Dominica had passed, Lee had inherited a large amount of money from her mother and was now a wealthy woman. Deborah wondered, did Bill want her money? If they got divorced, he would possibly get half, but if Lee were to die, he would definitely get it all. With that thought in her mind, she went to the bathroom and asked the demon outright if Bill Sr. had invited it in. And she said, a message quickly appeared in the mirror saying, this little prick wants me to kill Lee. He does not command me. Deborah told Lee, who would still not entertain the possibility that Bill wished her harm. But she did think Bill had been acting more and more strangely. She convinced him to agree to a psychiatric evaluation, and that led to Bill Sr. being committed to a mental health facility for two weeks. While he was away from the house, the entity was quiet. Upon arrival to pick Bill Sr. up and take him home, Lee was cornered by him and told she needed psychiatric help, that she was responsible for the haunting. They got into a huge fight that eventually led to Lee kicking her husband out of the house. And Deborah claims that after he left, the family would not see him again. In his absence, the, the entity still made his presence known, moving objects around and such, but never in a threatening way. It seemed that Bill really was the true catalyst for paranormal terror. However, the family still found it hard to relax knowing some entity was still around and they never knew when they were being watched. Things, like, uh, things continued like this for a few years, and then at the end of 1994, Gary Kent returned for a third time, Jesus. along with news that he was leaving for England. And in a super strange turn of events, he went to the bathroom and asked the entity that had previously been open to having him sacrificed to leave with him. Allegedly, the entity would write a message saying, Gary needs me. And sure enough, when Gary left, so did the entity, and the Moffat family were never bothered again. The Moffats thought they were just going to speak of uh, the Moffats thought that they were never going to speak of any of this again. Put it all behind them. But after the passing of Lee in 2009 and Bill Jr. in 2012, Deborah broke her silence, and along with her daughter Jessica, born in 1990, they decided to share their story with the world. And just this year, Bloomhouse Productions bought the rights to their story and plans to make both a film and TV series based around this haunting. Chris McCumber, president of Bloomhouse Television, said, The story of Mr. Entity is one of the best examples we've seen of truth being stranger than fiction. Uh, a lot of shit. A lot of shit. A lot. Of, here's the thing. I want to not believe so much of it. Right. I'm like, I don't know. But when you have that many 
sources. Mm-hmm. Like you have the Warrens, you have what's his name? Gary Clark. It's not Gary Clark Jr. What's his name? <laughs> Gary Kent. <laughs> Clark Kent. Uh when Superman shows up a couple yeah, times. Yeah. I mean, like, you have all these people. That is a lot of coordination to get yes. all those people to buy into this story. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think with stories like this, that, you know, it doesn't have to be all not true or all true. That's fair. So there could be like some true elements and then some lies. Uh-huh. Some a lot embellishments. Of, a lot, embellishments, a lot of exaggerations. Right, because when you're wrapped up in it, like let's just say that there was poltergeist activity yeah. and there was a haunting possession, it is easy for every little thing to feel yeah. like something. Totally. And then when you're all in it together, it's I think it's very easy to just get wrapped up in it and be like, no, don't you remember it happened like this? And it's, no, I mean, it becomes yep. a telephone game a bit. Yep, fish, fish story, you know, the fish just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Yep, the, the hysteria of them, like that group hysteria, they just feed off one another. So, yeah. who, so who knows where the truth is? But it is, yeah, it, it is an interesting one. I keep saying that, so I guess drink, drink, um, drink, 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 drink. He also he stumbled on his words so many times. I hope you guys are all smashed right now. <laughs> I know, uh, I did, I did. Uh, I also, I, I find it surprising that nobody talked about this in the story or that version of it. Uh, what do we think about the possibility that it's Bill, right? Mm-hmm. That was that Bill and Juanita were having an affair, and the Ooh. plan was to kill Dominica. Take the money and run. Or you mean, or kill Lee. No, no. Well, they needed the the grandmother to die. Yeah, so she dies. So they get, then they get the money. I see, I see. And so it's like, I, and then it was like, It'd well. It would be a two-part plan then. You'd want Dominica to die, leave Lee the money. Just got darker in here. And then have Lee die so that he Bill would get the Senior money. gets all the money and then could share it with Juanita. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yes, yes, yes. So, I don't know. Mm, yeah. But, but then Bill Jr., I mean, this is like a poorly thought out plan because it's like, well, your money could have also, she could have also left her money to her son. Like it could have just come like exponentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially since their finances uh, were separate. Who knows what their wills now, were. Why do people do that? Well, a lot of times they do it. I mean, I, it does make sense. I'm so glad, you know, like you and I don't, we like collaborate and everything and yeah. that, that works for us. I mean, I know why people do it. I just meant like, I know it, it is interesting, but I mean, uh, in this situation, I wonder uh, why yeah. it's like, you know, like we have neighbors who keep their mm-hmm. money separate and neither one of them was ever married before. There's no yeah. history of one of them being a real spender. They just, just get along better. Fucking darker in here. So fucking weird. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm like, I have a few pictures. This first one is Deborah Moffat in recent years, long after the haunting was uh, over with her daughter, Jessica. Okay. They look weirdly similar. I know. Uh, this next one, a collage of pictures of messages on the mirror and that strange triangular uh, symbol written around the house with a little tail. And and what year was this happening? Do you remember? Like Yes, it, it was um, It was happening in the late 80s and early 90s. Okay. I was just trying to think mm-hmm. about what these photos look like. And yeah, I see like the little uh, like timestamp that would come on digital cameras at that time. Yep. Yep. There was that, that triangle. I think that was like baby powder or something or salt, you know, something like flour or something, sugar uh, left on the carpet there. You can see no escape in the bottom right-hand corner as we look mm-hmm. at it. Uh, this next collage is of a bed frame that the Moffats claimed the entity almost tipped over, a slashed mattress and random items brought under the house or brought into the house and scattered around the floor. I was just thinking about what a long con this would have to be for all of them to be in on this. The photos and then like waiting all these years. Especially trying to get like a movie deal. And many of the original people died. So there's only a few of them left. I mean. Which could make it all the more. Like a 30 year con. Well, no, that just like this could be completely made up. That they made this up after all those people died. And then because they didn't release this story until. But. 
Ed and Lorraine Warren did write about it many years ago. Okay. okay yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So there, so there is, so there is documentation from when it was happening. Oh yes, and Gary and Clark and Superman. Superman is he super, still alive? Super, super, uh, blues guitarist Superman Gary Clark Kent Jr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who we're going to see this year. I'm yeah. so excited to see him. We'll, yeah. have, we'll, have, we'll have to see if we can have a little chat with him. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> you don't know me, but we have this paranormal podcast and we hear a ghost chopped off your hair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that's all the pictures I have for that one. It was a very long story. It didn't, I know. It didn't scare me. I was fascinated by it. Yeah, you got like you got tense in moments. Yeah, because I just kept thinking like, you guys, okay, well, and then also, I mean, poor Lee, I was like, well, we need to send Lee away. I can't, it, yeah. it is surprising to me that at no point when the entity called out Lee, did anyone think like, okay, as an experiment, where mm-hmm. could we send Lee that she would be safe? Like a, 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 a convent, a, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, no, but seriously, yeah, like yeah, a very yeah, yeah. religious place where she would be surrounded by people who would care for her and protect her and pray mm-hmm. over her and all that. Like if we remove her from the situation, what happens? Right. Yeah. I mean, why, why did we not do that? I pictured a horrible thing with somebody where it's like, okay, we're worried about this. Uh, you know, demon is, uh, you know, just focus on you. We're just, we're going to, we're going to get you separated from the rest of us just to find out if it's with you or the house, Good luck. we're, we're going to keep you safe. And then like, you know, you like you have them driven across town and it's like some like Airbnb kind of setup, but then they're just taken down into a basement with like pentagrams all over the place. Like you're just trying to accelerate it to like get rid of them or just give the thing what it wants. That's so mean. Yeah, I know. I said it was a crazy thought. Uh, I've never seen that triangle like that triangular yeah, I don't sperm know, symbol. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what that represents. I don't know what it is either. I thought that was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, wait. I also thought it was weird that they were living with their parents. Remember, he had health problems. Yeah, but the mom was still there. No, Bill Jr. Oh, uh, Bill Jr. had the heart yeah, problem? Yeah, he had the heart problem. But now he was married to Deborah, so why did they need to live with his mom and dad? That's a great point. Like, I just like I was like, I don't understand why we're all living together. I know. And you have this rental, which, yes, is great for extra income, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know all the details there. I mean, I guess some some families, that's what works for them. Not our family. No. Children, children, if you're oh listening, don't even fucking God. think about it. <laughs> I, I just think about it. You know what's funny is like, I think our kids would not want to live with us, which is natural. They'd be like, no, no way. Yeah. I, I'd be more open to like, yeah, yeah, kids are great. They can like, you know, kind of... Nope. <laughs> but, um, but the other way... Having to live with my parents, get the fuck out of here. No way. No way. Did you just GTFO? That's, I did. That's a good one. I didn't even plan it for the drinking game. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Because I was wondering, like, also with Juanita, before I made the connection, the possible connection between her and Bill and, like, an, an affair or whatever, I'm mm-hmm. like, did Juanita ever possibly think, okay, I'm going to curse this family. Yeah. And then they're going to need to keep me here to undo the curse. Like, would they see me huh. as the source of... Because, like, I, 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 when did she go away? They don't really... Very early in the story. I mean, I mean, right away. Like, when, when Dominica passed, yeah. she, she was gone within days. She could have stayed. I don't know. They could have given her another job. They could have. Well, I, maybe. But she was her caretaker, so I actually not I know, really. But, but, no, but it was a work visa, so it's like they could have. I mean, to me, I'm just like, if you think that she's the source of like this Santeria, I would want her around to help undo it. Mm, I, I wouldn't. I, I'd just get out of here. Well, it didn't help. Not enough. Well, yeah. I, we don't really know if she did that. And also, I've never heard of the Seven Princes of Hell. That was new. Uh, I think that might come from like Dante or something. Dante's I have. What? <laughs> Dante's Inferno. So, I have heard of the Seven Princes of Hell. You have? Like major demons, I, I believe. Mm. You know what? You know what? 
just because of my brain. Sure. I'm going to look, look it up, up really quick while you get uh, setting things up. No, you can't do two things at once. So I am set up. I am ready to go. And oh, there's, you are. there's literally no point in me starting to tell a story while you're looking at a phone. I, I was going to say, I like the le- the idea of different levels of demons. Yeah. yeah. So like, the, you know, obviously one of the seven princes of hell is a pretty dope job title. But <laughs> yeah. then you have like lower level just runs like Greg the demon. Hey, yeah, 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 exactly. I, I would I would be okay with being haunted by Greg the demon, not, <laughs> right. but not a prince of hell. Just a, like the basic, like an accountant down in like the bottom floor of the hell's administrative building. Um, yeah, seven princes of hell. It is the highest, most powerful of all the demons. Um, one, like in this weird classification thing online, there's like Lucifer who represents pride. They represent the seven deadly sins. Oh. Uh, mammon, greed, as Asmodeus or Asmodeus, lust, Leviathan, envy, Beelzebub, gluttony, Satan, wrath, and Belphegor, sloth. Huh. So they separated like a lot of common terms for Satan into like three different terms there. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that very valuable piece of information. <laughs> you bet. Are you ready for my stories now? I am. I wish that- the classic Layla. Oh. Oh man, our niece just came for a visit and she kidnapped a Layla from our studio. Mm-hmm. She was very excited about how good it smelled. Oh, it was great to see Ellie. <laughs> so cute. Well, here we go. Let's do it. The only house on the block. My best friend since elementary school lived in a home that she and her five siblings swore was haunted. They mentioned seeing shadows in their home, bumps and bangs throughout the home when there shouldn't have been, catching movement out of the corner of their eyes and hearing whispers. Each sibling seemed to encounter the spirits in the home in a different way, but the tale of why the home was haunted had me doubting all of them. They claimed that a grandma had killed all her grandkids and buried them in the basement. What? This sounded completely made up. Maybe one of those older siblings playing an ongoing prank on the younger siblings kind of thing. Maybe it was no different than the stories we made up about the girl buried in the walls of our elementary school. False claims to terrify anyone dumb enough to believe it. As we grew older, their family moved and the old house was condemned to be torn down. This got my friend talking about the murderous grandma again. Being more of an age for sick truth, I asked for validation from my grandpa. Grandpa had worked for the police force for years, so I considered him an expert on crime around our community. When I asked if it was true, Grandpa simply stated it was a terrible crime. It was just so sad what happened. Seeing my grandpa's reaction, I dropped the story, never looking into it any further. If my grandpa was that affected by the crime, then I assumed there was a murder and it was traumatic for the small town community we lived in. One of those things you just didn't talk about in polite conversation. Fast forward to being a single mom and wanting to move out of my parents' house. My grandpa suggested his friend, who was selling a home not too far from my family, so I could still rely on them for babysitting. By getting this house, it would save me money because it wouldn't have to be listed. A naive young person like me jumped at the opportunity. I bought the house, and even though I thought something felt off, I bought the house even though I felt something was off. The house was empty, but it felt like something inside was always watching me. The basement had old river rock walls and looked more like a dungeon than anything. I had no desire to go down there, ever. My family, who was helping me move things in, said they wouldn't even go down there, even if there had been a tornado. (laughs) The home was nearly 100 years old, so it felt like it held the history of previous owners in its bones. Moving in and unpacking that first night, my son AJ was out of the house staying with my aunt since his room wasn't yet set up. 
It was storming and the power flickered. I had never been afraid of the dark before, but something about being alone in the dark in a new place had me looking over my shoulder. The home-owning thing seemed to lose its charm quite quickly. It dawned on me during the lights flickering and the thunder rumbling that this house was the only house on the block. The house that once neighbored my home was the one my friends had lived in, the one where the murders had happened. Being on my own, where I was responsible for the well-being of my two-year-old, this terrified me. I have always believed in the paranormal and ghosts. What if the kids who were murdered next door had no place to go since that home was torn down, and now they were living in my home? These thoughts plagued me, and I was unable to sleep in my room by myself. I tried, but even having the radio on to drown out the small creaks was not helping. I had the sliding doors of the closet slid open so that if anything went bump in the night, I could instantly debunk it. I have always had an active imagination, so I do not like letting my mind wander as I figure out what might be behind a door or a curtain. I slept on the couch for the first four months of living Mm -hmm. there, falling asleep watching TV every night, and I kept the lights on too. I would hear the occasional squeak of the floor as if someone were walking around the house. I could feel something darting around the corners of the hallway, but I could never see it. One of these nights on the couch, I was drifting in and out of sleep when suddenly, for no reason, the clock above my kitchen sink fell off the wall and clattered loudly onto the dishes. I stayed on the couch frozen, my heart beating so hard I thought it would beat out of my chest. Seeing no movement from the kitchen, I got up and walked to the sink. I looked at the faux wall. It was a decorative piece that connected the cabinets and went in front of the window so you couldn't see the curtain rods above the sink. The nail was still there, and there was no way to explain how the clock just fell. It's not like a mouse was in the mall, in the wall, <laughs> wiggling the nail. I moved the clock to the counter, not prepared to deal with it, and then went back to the couch. Over the next couple of weeks, I would get up and check on AJ in the middle of the night, figuring that if those ghost kids could mess with the clock, how could they not also mess with my child? I would check in on him, and I always found him tucked into bed, tightly. And this would have been normal, except for the fact that AJ had always been a mover when he sleeps. I never tucked him in like that. Sometimes, his fan would be turned off in the middle of the night, but his radio would still be on, so I knew there was no electrical issues. I thought to myself, Okay, maybe these are some nice things the ghosts are doing. Maybe they don't mean us any harm. As if it wasn't weird enough, AJ would play and babble and talk as children do when they play pretend, but his conversations were always one-sided. I would walk by, and any time this happened, he'd be looking into his closet. I didn't ask who he was talking to because, honestly, I didn't want to know. I would watch him from the hall and hear him wait for his turn to talk in the conversation. Sometimes he would show someone something, someone I couldn't see, like how to play with his toys. Cool, so now he was making friends with the ghost children. AJ was spending the night at my aunt's one evening when I heard one of his toys go off in his closet. My initial reaction was, hell no, not today, Satan. (laughs) And then I realized I was the adult here. I had to be the one to go check this out. And sure enough, there was no reason why the toy cash, cash register would be making noise. I took the batteries out and set it back down, but days later, still with no batteries in it, the cash register started beeping again as if a child were playing with it. I took it out of his room and placed it in the Three Seasons room where more of his toys were. As I was sitting in the living room with a clear sight of the room and of AJ taking a nap, that toy went off once again. It still had no batteries in it, and yet it was beeping and dinging. My only knowledge of defense was to grab the salt from the kitchen and sprinkle it over the toy. And I did so 
and as I did, the beeping stopped. I was conflicted. This was not, this was innocent playing, but I wasn't going to keep up with this happening. Being a responsible adult and doing responsible things with my adult money, I bought a Ouija board, hoping to talk to these spirits and let them know I meant them no harm, but also to ask them to leave us in peace. I was alone, which I knew was a no-no, but I was determined to get to the bottom of this. I had, I even had water, dirt, and a candle going so the spirit could use the energy from the elements to communicate with me. But shockingly, or maybe luckily, nothing happened. Discouraged, I thought maybe I was taking things a bit too far. It was nearing Halloween, and my students were talking about spooky things. I decided to bring the Ouija board because a few of the students were interested. During my prep period, two students and I shut off the lights and played with the Ouija board. Unlike the time I used this same board at home, we were actually getting some results. We asked simple things at first, gaining responses. The students assured me they weren't moving the planchette. When they asked more personal questions trying to understand who these spirits were, these students miraculously found they were talking to deceased loved ones as well as one of the teacher's parents who had just recently passed. But then it was my turn to ask questions. I asked how many spirits were around me. Two, did they have a connection to me? No. Did they have a connection to my house? Yes. Did they wish harm on my son? No. Did they wish me harm? Yes. What Hmm. were their names? C and J. And then the numbers 7462. I was so confused. How could my students make up responses that would spook me? This absolutely had to be real. Closing the session, I told the kids that that was enough for today, and I quickly got on my computer to do some research. The children next door who were murdered were two sons and a grandson. The sons were murdered in 1974, Mm -hmm. and their ages were six months and two years old. Their names were Chris and John. And the woman who murdered her grandson, and then then the woman who murdered her grandson decades later, the woman only confessed to murdering her two children 30 years after the crime when she was arrested for smothering her grandson. She smothered the kids because, quote, she was selfish and didn't want them having attention and stuff she couldn't get from other people. Reading that information on my screen, I nearly died. How? What were the odds that these letters and numbers would come up? It had to be the ghost of the kids. Of course they would wish me harm. Their own mother had killed him and then kept it secret for decades. They wouldn't hurt AJ because he would have been seen as a playmate, as a friend. Since that conversation, the bumps in the night at my house grew more frequent. As the months went on, my boyfriend would be at the house while I was at work and would hear bumps and thumps throughout the house. He described it to me as the sound of kids running around the house. I I decided to tell him the story of the house next door and my dealings with the Ouija board. He said he had a way of dealing with the ghosts and had a history of being able to get things to leave. But he told me if I ever brought that Ouija board into the house again, he was going to set it on fire. So the board stayed in my classroom, and George did whatever it was that got the activity to die down, at least for a while. It was years of dealing with this when I finally listened to your podcast in my car. It was the episode with the haunted paintings, and I really wanted to see these creepy images, but I was driving. George and I watched the podcast later, and with each painting, I got more and more creeped out. The anguished man, one, haunted both of us, and of course, my stepdaughter, who happened to get interested partway through that night, partway through the podcast, saw that one too. That night, AJ was once again visiting my aunt. George woke up in the middle of the night and saw the shadow of a small child 
at the foot of our bed. When he told me the next morning, I immediately got the sage out and got to work. Was this a result of watching the podcast at home? Did it anger the kids? That weekend, we had also looked at a new house and we were talking about moving. Was our soon-to-be absence drawing the kids to act out? Regardless, my sage did nothing because the next night, my husband said he woke up again in the middle of the night and instead of a child standing at the foot of our bed, he saw a child crawling on our ceiling. Uh. He described the child as pitch black, darker than the shadows in the room. The child was crawling across the ceiling, only stopping to look at him, kinking its neck around to lock eyes with George. Two nights later, we were sitting in the dining room and AJ was in his room watching TV. As George and I were talking, we heard the exact three-knock style my son uses when he wants to enter our room. This isn't the first time he's mistakenly thought we were in our room. So we both laughed at his mistake and said, hey, bub, we're over here. Then our faces went white when we heard the sound of AJ getting out of his bed and pounding across the floor to peek his head around the corner. What? He asked, confused. George and I shared a look of concern. You just knocked at our door, right, bub? I asked. He shook his head, no. I grabbed my selenite crystal and sage and began making rounds in the house while AJ looked at me like I was crazy. I also walked around telling whatever energy was there that this was still my house and they weren't allowed to terrorize us. They could save it for the new owners, but it wasn't (laughs) going to be us anymore. Unfortunately, the deal fell through on the buyer's end, so we had to stay in the house. The activity is still here. I finally decided to ask my grandpa for more details about the case and if he knew the woman who had committed the murders, hoping it would help me stop it once and for all. He explained the same things, but this time my my grandma piped in, telling me that grandpa and the murderer woman had dated in middle school, to which my grandpa said, yeah, as serious as middle school dating can be with the roll of an eye, but just another reason for these kids to have it out for me. <laughs> Wiz Kalisa. Her, her <laughs> name cracks me up. It's like a funny... Like Wiz Khalifa, yeah. Yeah. And then she linked uh, an article, a news article about that woman. Uh, I could share it uh, in the episode description, but this woman, I mean, it is crazy. She killed her two her her two kids yeah. and then years like 30 years got later... Got away with it. Yeah, got away with it. And then 30 years later, smothered her grandson to death. Jeez. Like, what a fucking psychopath. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wild story. And I wonder how many kids she had total. I mean, at least three for two to, for her to kill oh, two yeah. and one to have, you know, a grandkid later. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Man. Yeah, there was so many elements of that story, you know, uh, that, you know, if, if this listener is telling the truth, which I have no reason to believe that they're not. Yeah, why, why, why yeah, would you make this up? The toy not having batteries, that stuff, oh, we haven't had one of those in a while. And that always gets me where it's like, it shouldn't be able to make noises if it doesn't have any power. Right. And then when they poured, I think it was like salt on it and then yeah. it just immediately stopped. That's super creepy. thought it was pretty funny that she was uh, playing with the Ouija board at school. Oh my God. I immediately was like, I'm not the parent that would be upset about that. Me not neither. really. But man, there would be some angry parents. Oh man. I, I, my brain went to this whole place of parents are furious, want the teacher fired, mm-hmm. um, but it's actually not illegal. Legally, it is just a game, and then it becomes this whole battle of, like, religion versus secular, you know, kind of laws and everything. (laughs) I was really going into this whole thing in my head. I figured you might. Um, But, yeah, I thought that was an unusual element to the story. Uh Uh-huh. And then the things that came up with the Ouija board. That her students, you know, like the numbers and the names and the letters. I know. It's so crazy to me. So, I Mm -hmm. flipped back to that. The, The letters that came up were C and J. 
and the children who were murdered were Chris and John. Yeah. And then the numbers that came up were 7462. And the kids were murdered in 1974. So there's your yeah. 74. And they were six months and two years old. So there's your six and your two. That mm. is so, like, she didn't even know that. Right. And her students didn't know that. So yeah. there was no way to fake that. I know. Not that I can come up with anyways. I know this, this This is one of those stories that just seems like very, very good evidence for the reality of the paranormal. I think so, too. I think so, too. I am curious what George tried to do to get the ghosts out of the house and what his history is with removing mm-hmm, spirits mm-hmm. from homes. Clearly didn't work, George. Um, yeah, it's still and there right still, now. Yeah, and they're still there now. So I'm like, man, are you like, what are you doing every day? God, that thing about like um, when he, was it a dream or did he wake up and see the little kid crawling on the ceiling? Woke up because first night, one night he saw a shadow at the foot of the bed and then the next night on the ceiling. Uh, that is so creepy. Like, I know. You can like hear the like, mm-hmm. that, that like. And, and then craning its head, like flipping its head back around to like look at you from up there. Ah, I know we've <laughs> seen like that a- in. So many horror movies. It's so scary. Spider combined with a something about that whole spider crawl. Yeah, you know, like like moving up the walls. It's just uh, maybe that's maybe that's why it creeps us out. It does remind us of spiders. It makes me think of that huge spider on the boat the other day <gasps> that you saw. That I mean, it was a monster. Yeah, yeah, that thing was huge. Yeah, um, my my failed attempts at getting rid of it were pretty comical. I bet to mm-hmm. watch. I just kept trying to like scoop water out of the lake and like splash it. Then I it, then I flicked it. And then you said it crawled across it, the that water. That thing was so creepy. I've never seen a spider. I, f- I just flicked it off the side of the boat and it shoots out into the water and then immediately and so fast, like it was swimming, but it looked like it was crawling back across the water. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you nasty little thing. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I wanted to get big you. Old, big old giant body. Like probably, in my mind, it was like full of like eggs or something. Ew, gross. Yeah. It's disgusting. Do you have time for one more? Uh, let me check my watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> Ah, okay. What what did I say the name of the story was? Oh, yeah. Who is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hail, bad magic crew. (laughs) My name is Jen, and I'm from Minnesota. I'm a single mom of a a two-and-a-half-year-old girl, Rosie. I had to take a few minutes after listening to this week's episode and share my most recent experience. It's one that still has me a bit jittery. In recent weeks, Rosie has taken to getting out of her bed in the night, climbing the stairs, coming into my bedroom and crawling into bed with me after I've fallen asleep. I usually don't notice her until my alarm goes off the next morning. Tuesday, December 17th of this year, so obviously this is last year, was a rough day. After months of searching for a rental or a house to buy in my price range, the offer and rejection process, family squabbles, and the disappointing news that the fella I was into wasn't into me the way I had hoped, it was all too much, and I had a good old stress cry after the house was quiet. I'm not sure if others cry like I do. Usually, it's a frustratingly one-sided conversation I have in my head with my dad, who passed away 10 years ago. He's the guy I always went to for advice and comfort. After a good cry, I got ready for bed. I turned on Pandora to play Dan's Station and set my timer for 40 minutes and got into bed, turning the light off and getting settled under the covers. After I listened and chuckled along to my favorite comedians, I heard the door pop. It doesn't shut flush, and it makes a woody popping sound when it opens. Thinking it was Rosie, I didn't even think anything of it. I heard the door make contact and catch against the jam without fully closing. I heard feet shuffle across the carpet. I felt Rosie climb the footboard out of bed, climb the footboard of the bed, and settle next to my hip. After a few moments of gently wiggling around, I felt it touch my thigh. And then I heard Rosie snore over the baby monitor. My heart stopped and I froze in terror. If she was downstairs in her room snoring, what was in my bed? 
Alarmed, I felt the wiggling in the bed again, fighting to keep my breathing deep and even so I wouldn't alert whatever it was that I was awake. It took me several minutes trying to convince myself that it was our dog before I was able to roll over and turn on my bedside lamp. Nothing. I was alone. I got up. I looked under the bed. I went downstairs and I checked on Rosie. She was sound asleep in her own bed and the dog was in my mother's room and they were both asleep. This is the first truly physical experience I've had in 15 years, and nothing strange has happened in this house prior. I don't know what to make up to make of it. To keep myself from being afraid to sleep in my own bed at 37 years old, I've been telling myself that it was my dad's way of letting me know that he'd heard me. I wish he'd picked a less creepy way to try and comfort me. <laughs> Jen from Minnesota or ASC in Discord. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Ah. Yeah, yeah. When you have that thing where like everybody in the house is asleep, yeah. Then how else do you explain it? Mm-mm. Yeah, that's uh, again just like you know, like I like I like those stories, like physical proof, yeah. of the paranormal. Ah, <sighs> I would prefer not physical proof. Hmm. Uh. Uh-uh. Mm. I know. I still get creeped sometimes, like with the dogs and the bed, and I think I feel something, and then like. Okay, it's just like the blanket settling more. Like somebody, right. you know, you know that feeling like when you're lying in bed and the the blanket seems to shift on its own, like a sheet kind of like wasn't touching one part of your yeah. ankle, but yeah, now yeah, it yeah. is. It's so hard to just stay calm and be like, Lindsay, one of the dogs probably like went, and then it, you know, or they moved their little paw just slightly or you shifted. Because it's like, why would the blankets be moving? Mm-hmm. Why? I know I am thinking of like just having that experience or some similar experience where my mind now is just picturing like you and I in bed, you know, laying mm-hmm. there and then, okay. mm, <laughs> and then, uh, and then the blanket starts just like pulling itself off of the bed, like below us. It's like, there is no, there would be no way to explain that or something like that other than the paranormal. Yep. If There's no breeze that does that. I mean, no. obviously you would feel it. There would be like a yeah. hurricane wind all of a sudden like in your room, <laughs> but there would be no, no natural explanation. You just turn a fan on. It just sucks the blankets off. <laughs> yeah. Leaves you just fine. Sucks the blankets off. Uh, yeah. If I'm going to have I mean, that kind of physical experience, I absolutely 1000% need you to be there. Mm-hmm. I do not want to experience that one on my own. Yeah. Me either. I, neither one of us have really truly had a for sure definitive paranormal experience. Well, you had the weird thing at the rainbow room, but even that, it's like, you can't. I know that I know my, my, my brain does go to with that one, even like, well, maybe the, uh, somebody just left the faucet on and yeah. it's um, like, you're not always the most observant person. Right. Right. I thought, I thought, I thought I would be, would notice that, but maybe I didn't. And yeah. it was weird that she said something, the waitress said something later and referenced that without me saying anything. Right. You know, there's a lot of little elements, but that's, that's not the same as what we just heard. I, I it, it hasn't been that level. I know. I'm, I'm hoping it stays the way it is. I know. I go back and forth constantly. I know. Our house is feeling pretty good. It is. Pretty good right now. I haven't been hearing the strange creaking from Kyler's room. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's keep it good. I know. Oof. I, I, I got to keep up on my cleanses. I, I believe that the reason we haven't heard anything recently is that I like smoke cleansed the house and resalted all the doorways mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. And it did feel better. Okay. So... I don't know if it's placebo effect or otherwise, but I'll take it. Yeah, either way, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah. So what's our so what's let, our plan here? So let's do let's thank our Annabelles. Let's get okay. our spoopy shout outs out of the way. Okay, not out of the way. Let's do them. Oof. Not oh, out of did the he way. just like kind of shit not on your guys' shout outs? No, let's do those, and and then um 
Yeah, and then we can like chat about the journey and have some cake. Yeah, so if you feel like you've heard enough, uh, once we finish the Spooby shoutouts and the Annabelle shoutouts, you can leave the show like you normally would. But if you'd like to hang out with us for a little bit, we are going to chat a little while just about... Uh, how we got to 200 episodes of Scared to Death. Yeah. Just, uh, Stay, staying around to see this cake we bring oh, in yeah. in a second is, is worth it alone. So yeah, <laughs> I, I suggest cake. don't go anywhere. Yet. Um, but yeah, if you're not into the banter, which everyone is not, you can feel free to exit whenever is a good time for you. Uh, if you're a Robert and Annabelle, you're already used to this format a little mm -hmm. bit because this is more of what we do in a bonus episode. And if you're curious about the bonus content that we offer on Patreon, then also stick around and see what it's all about. Exactly. All right. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I can start. Okay, go for it. I want to thank the following Annabelles for helping us uh, keep this show going. Carrie Gipple, Haley Reed, Honey Wright Smut. I love that one. <laughs> me too. Uh, Kaleo Kaanaka Ole. Uh, Chartimus Maximus Dethemus Decimus Rex. <laughs> My good God. <laughs> Rex Mathers. Uh... Uh, Roselli or Roselle, uh, Matthew Molina, Kimberly Bolton, and Chris Alexander. Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for their support on Patreon and for 200 episodes. Sandy Roberts, Heather Duke, Kelly Kopiak, Zachary Stannard, Catherine Como, Amanda Orth, Lasagna Bush, Jay, and that's J-A-E, Shannon Lowry, and Nora Sandlin. And then I have a few spooky shout outs to Daniel, a.k.a. Bruno from your ex-wife, Shanna. Uh, wait, it, she said it's like banana. Shanna from your ex-wife, Shanna. Uh. A huge and nimrodical and spooky birthday to the best ex-husband and baby daddy. <laughs> You're a wonderful dad and the best husband, <laughs> the best us husband I ever had. <laughs> you mean a lot to us and you're never uh, alone. That's really sweet. That is. Like as yeah. we hope for other divorced couples. Yeah. To Emma from John, happy birthday. To Mr. Lady from Lady. Happy anniversary, Jesse. I love you and your giant beard. Our boys are lucky to have you. To Cherry from Rex, happy belated birthday. And to Delia from Delia, happy birthday. She said there was no way that her uh, husband, Felix, was going to remember to give her a shout out. So she had to take care of it herself, which <laughs> I get. I yeah, really get. Right. Yeah. I'm not getting any shout outs on this show for my husband either. <laughs> uh, well, thanks everybody for uh, yeah the support and the shout outs. And um. Do you want to do you want to get the cake in here first? Yeah, let's let's and then we can chat while we're having some cake. Let's have cake. Let's see this uh, amazing cake that is supposed to be a replica of this book, I guess, that uh we'll, Logan we're and Kate that got. In right here in a sec. We're lighting the Oh, candles. cool. Okay. While they light it. Yeah, what a um what a cool thing that we made it to 200 episodes. Yeah, we're just I know. so thankful that uh so many of you have de decided to join the ride, to stick around the ride. It's uh <laughs> Interesting to think that it's been almost four years. I know. You know, since uh since we started doing this. Four years ago, this was just a dream, something that we were kind of conceptualizing, working on behind the scenes. Well, even more than that, it's I'm long before that. Cause like when you started Time Suck, you know, and we uh got into uh, podcasting. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Great, great, great. Okay, here it comes, guys. Oh, oh nice. Okay. We're gonna put it on a platform. Yep. You can push against that if you need to. Okay, perfect. Oh, that is a very cool looking cake. Look at that. Oh my God. I can't believe like how much it looks like the book. That's sick. That's insane. Do we decide not to desecrate it with candles? Oh, here come the candles. That is crazy. Um, uh, We got to take a pic. Did you guys take a picture of it already? Okay. Yeah, yeah we got Okay, some, great. Okay. Great. Uh, video and some footage. That is really, really, really cool. That, uh, that art, the art of like people who design, you know, cakes to look like things is so impressive. 
Here, I'll wow. try to hit uh, hit your cam and get the what? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. That's sick. That is so cool. I noticed they even got the rip in the spine. Like if you compare it to your book right down like above the O. <sighs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's just like the little details they did. Amazing. Amazing. That's a much smarter way to do it. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> oh, well done. We Good got job, 200 teamwork. candles. Look okay, at that. Okay. And I'm pretty sure these guys are, are fans. It's Celebration Sweet Boutique in Spokane Valley. Oh, the, oh, oh that's very cool. They seem to know, uh, know about it. Yeah. Cool. Very, very cool. When do you guys want to close the door? Yeah, I'm so Thanks. we're we're so oh we're not gonna light them? No, we're just looking at it. Oh, okay. Our <laughs> <laughs> two broke right at, right as we were coming in. Oh no. Oh no, oh no. So we had to fix that. Okay, so they were lighting it. Yeah, we're lucky to have a lot of like fans in the area. It is cool. Like um I was in a the little uh what Olympia, the little Greek restaurant here in town the other day. And I got some fans that work there that were so so nice. That's lemon soup. Best lemon, yeah, that lemon orzo chicken soup, that Greek soup, so good. Fans at Pilgrims and a variety of the coffee shops around town. Yeah, it's cool. It's like seeing like friends when you go out to do stuff. Well, it's nice. It's just that. like community building. That looks beautiful. Aww. That looks beautiful. Happy 200th episode so to let's, let's, us. Should we, should we do a, 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 like almost like a, a wish or something? Okay, do you want to wish for 100 more episodes? Yeah, let's wish for a, Oh, 100. no, you're not supposed to say it out loud. Oh, man. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll wish for something. I'll then. wish for something else. You don't else. even know. Okay. Okay, one, I know two, what you're wishing three. for. Okay. I know what you wished for. It has awesome. nothing to do with scared to death. <laughs> we'll have some, uh, some cake right after the show so we're not eating on the microphone. Because nobody likes that. True. But I'm excited to dig in. Is it, uh, is it chocolate, Logan? Uh, I actually don't know what they did. I think we went – what did you – yeah. You, I don't it's whatever remember. you suggested. Okay, chocolate, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's chocolate. Yeah. If Dan picked, it's chocolate. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, but you were saying uh, but, that, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. was when Time Suck started. This was uh, an yeah, idea. Yeah, so just like, uh, you know, way back in the day, you know, for anybody who doesn't already know this story, just very briefly, you know, Dan and I moved up to Coeur d'Alene to be with the kids. Yeah. Uh, Kyler wanted to live with us. We didn't want to raise the kids separately. Mm-hmm. A variety of things. We were like, okay, you know, like, we'll go. Stand-up was a little stagnant. Yeah. And it would not everybody was podcasting yet. It wasn't it wasn't what yeah. it is now. A lot of comics were, but it wasn't not, it was nothing like it is now. Nothing, nothing. I mean, there was Joe Rogan, and yeah. that was that was kind of like it. And people were like, What's a podcast? You know, they didn't understand. And Dan conceptualized Time Suck. And at that time he said, you know, my my dream, my goal is that it would be a three-headed snake. And there will yeah. be the analytical piece of it, which would be time suck. Yeah. And then there would be uh, a horror element to it, which would be scared to death. It was uh, unnamed. Yeah. And then there would be, you know, a more improv type show. And that would be, um, is, is we dumb? dumb, which was a blast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a, it was a great show. Uh, Had just, all three going for what? Uh, two years, I believe. Yeah. Two years. Yeah, all three, that. all three shows were with the pandemic stuff. When I wasn't touring as much, mm-hmm. it was, I was able to keep like, um, you were doing five shows then. Cause you were doing time suck, secret suck, scared mm-hmm. to death. Is We Dumb. And Incredible Feats. And Incredible Feats, which was yeah, a, a podcast Spotify original. It was nonstop podcasting. Uh-huh. But yeah, but we, but we had our three-headed snake here. Secret Suck is the Patreon Time Suck, uh, um, mm-hmm. I guess. Companion a, piece. Companion piece. Thank you. Companion yeah, podcast. Welcome. But yeah, it was, it was so fun. And, and I'm so glad we've kept the two heads going. And really, we still have three with the secret. But I mean, yeah. But I'm, Yeah, and there might be more stuff, new stuff totally. to come down the, the pipe. We're uh, talking about stuff in the background all the time. Yeah, I mean, we're always just like a little like peek behind the curtain. I think I can share these mm-hmm. things. Yeah. We didn't pre-discuss this, but you know, it's like, you know, there's the business, right? Like there is the creative side of it and there's the business side of it. And yeah. you're always trying to make your peace with art and commerce. And it is tricky because at the end of the day, everyone in this 
family at Bad Magic, like our, you know, our core staff, we're all creative people. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to to find that balance. Um, when you have a successful show, a really interesting thing happens that people reach out and they want to do other things with you. So like behind the scenes, yeah. you know, uh, on top of this, on top of touring and building new stand-up hours and raising a family and just trying to like be normal humans, uh, we've been very quietly working on a possible animated version of Scared to Death, which is something that we want to do so badly. It would be so cool. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of finding time. The guy mm-hmm. that we've been working with is a fan, is so fucking talented. Been in the industry a long time. Yeah, yeah. really. And just like a good human. We just yeah. met with him last week and he's been waiting on so stuff good. from us for months. And we're yeah. like, I'm sorry, we keep thinking we're going to get to it. It's just like everybody else. It's like, just like you think you're going to get to that home project. Just like you think mm-hmm. you're going to, you know, uh, like J.K. Rowling, you know, writing in her closet at night. Yeah. It's like, you always think you're going to like have time. It's like that burning the midnight oil. It's like, we are burning it to every degree that we can. And we just can't always get to everything, but yeah. it is cool. And we do hope that there will be space somewhere in the next, I don't know how many months to really like dig in with our friend Curtis on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there we have been approached multiple times about making scared to death into a TV show. And that's like something that is just kind of like lingering in the background, we heard a couple weeks ago that there's like a a slightly more realistic possibility, but it's like these things are so um, we never share it because yeah, and who knows if any of these things will come to fruition? Exactly, but it's yeah. like you know these it's, things we're working on in the background, but it is so fun, and they are oven in themselves their own cool little accomplishments that somebody else, artistic and smart and talented out there, is watching us do this and is like, you know what else you could do with that. It's so fun to collaborate with people, even if it never goes anywhere, yeah. just to talk to people who are also, you know, doing this and and see the value in what we do. It For me, it feels like, um, it feels very validating. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is very fun. It's very, very fun to be part of like this big web of creativity. It's like a lot of this stuff is newer for you, this end it's of it. It's all new for me. Mm, where it's like, you know, I think um, I, I feel refreshed about it just like, you know, real recently where... You know, in the background, it's like I've been pitching and trying to pitch shows for like 15, 16 years now. Yeah, there was never anything I ever wanted to do. Right, right. And then, you know, you do it so long that it just, you know, eventually just kind of becomes your job. And you forget yeah. you forget that it's a special job. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and you were sometimes when you're focusing or like when I'm focusing on like, you know, possible new projects down the road, I lose sight of the projects that people currently like mm-hmm. and that that I've been doing. And um, yeah, I feel like very refreshed with Time Suck and Scared to Death at the start yeah. of the summer. And, and the 200th episode, just a good, you know, just a good number to reflect on. Those, yeah. those big round numbers that we mm-hmm. like to use as benchmarks for you know, thinking, looking back. It's 104 weeks of episodes, right? 52? Um, no. Yeah, uh, two, two. 52 episodes, 52 weeks in a year. Yeah. What What were you saying? I said, so that's uh, 104 weeks. No, this is the 200th episode. So this would be 200 weeks. How? Well, if there's 52 weeks in a year. I love your math. I know. This is this is our constant. Fif- okay. When I said, remember I said we're coming up on our four-year anniversary? Yeah. Four times 52 oh, yeah. is 208. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, this is the story of our lives. Yes, this is this, this is, is Lindsay math. Mm-hmm, this is this is. When I hope Lindsay, everyone is laughing. Yep, when Lindsay starts talking about numbers, I've learned <laughs> you to just be, tune it out. I've learned to be patient. I have to like pause and try and figure out like where how she came up with that, and then gently be like, okay, no, I see, I see how you did that. Fifty-two weeks, but in here's a row. how the yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not how math works. <laughs> but it is like yeah, these round numbers. 
are just good. <laughs> Can we edit like, that out? <laughs> points to look back and also uh, then look forward. Yeah. And think like, oh, uh, you know, well, how much longer do we want to do this? Or how, how did do I even do, do that? I, somehow, I, I got somehow stuck on two. Mm-hmm. And I was like 52 times two. <laughs> yeah, I think you took the number 200 and turned that into two, two. years. But then also went to some 52 weeks <laughs> and it got all jumbled up. God, that was great. Um, that's like the time I tried to tell you that like a 200-minute movie was like three hours. Right. That was right. a very confusing conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we had to like, yep, work work that out. And like, well, <laughs> no, actually, I think you were, it was, yeah, yeah, anyway. Oh, God. Yep. I love it. I love it. But yeah, yeah, it's been it's been such a fun uh, journey, such a fun ride. Just, mm-hmm. you're trying not to laugh. No, no, no. I'm oh. just thinking about like, well, yeah, there's the journey stuff. No, it has been such a fun ride. And it's, you know, and, you, and it goes through, for me, it goes through this uh, with a couple hundred episodes. At first, the challenge with, I, I've noticed now that we're at this place of doing like, both with Time Suck and Scared to Death. When you've had shows that have been going for like, yeah, one almost four years, one al- uh, almost six years, or no, no, no almost seven, seven. Almost seven years. At summer camp this year, we'll be celebrating yep, like years. almost more officially- the because we're while we're at two hundred episodes, we're not at the four year mark yet. Right, like yeah. Like so it, in September, we'll be four years and seven years. Yeah. At first, you know, everything is fresh. You know, when you're when you're doing a new thing, and at first, like you know, every like, oh my gosh, this is the first Poltergeist story. This is the first Shadow Person story. This is the first yeah. Doppelganger story. And then on times like this is the first serial killer story. This <laughs> first, yeah. And then you know you get years in, it's like okay, this is the fifty eighth Poltergeist story. Or right. This is that. The trick then becomes how to breathe freshness into these stories. How not to just be like, okay, yeah, here we go again. Here we go. Shadow in the corner. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, But to like, you know, really get into it. And for me, just it's like this waves of, you know, you get a little jaded. Yeah. But then old becomes new again. And you just like, you know, work on coming up with tricks to like, well, how do I balance it? And, you know, I have like for scared to death, have this big document of, Every story we've ever done, but just a quick summation so I can just glance at it and be like, oh, okay, we haven't told this kind of story in a while. Yeah, yeah. To make sure that it's just not so repetitive, it gets boring. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you were, it, it's, it's like now I'm looking at it as a fun challenge. It does become a fun challenge to think, how can I tell the 58th Poltergeist story? But not have the rhythm of it be exactly the same as the previous 57 or, or yeah. four of those. And um it, it is, it's just cool that we've gotten to that point. Like how mm-hmm. lucky are we to get to a point where that's the struggle? Yeah. Where, where yeah. initially it's like, is anyone going to like any of these stories? I know. It's crazy. Like we, you watch like the Patreon numbers, the download numbers, you see people mm-hmm. invested, the emails that come in. You know, there are so many, when you started Time Suck, I know that you didn't intend for that to be the community that it is. Right. You know, we've talked a lot, a lot about that, what that community has become. And uh, on Scared to Death, I didn't think that it would be a place that people would come for refuge. I mean, it dawned on yeah, me, me later when people yeah. would say like, yeah, because it's escapist, you know? And, you know, we've all gone through a pandemic together. We've, yeah. uh, you know, had employee changes together. You know, it's yeah. like because you guys are used to certain voices coming through outside of ours. You know, mm-hmm. there have been changes there. The way the set looks, you know, just the everything. It's just shifted. And you become this very connected little family. And the emails that come in about like, hey, you know, this saved me. Yeah. Like, that is a weight that I 1000% never, ever, ever thought no. I would feel on my shoulders. And and I take it very, I mean, we both do. We take it very yeah. seriously and we take the words that come out of our mouth seriously, yeah. even if we can't do math. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a great honor, I think, for me 
I think I can speak for you too, to just be this this voice, this place that gives you hope and peace and solace totally. and a I'm break. So grateful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool that you guys trust us in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I just feel so grateful that we, you know, we have that trust. We have that. And that we've been able to survive, you know, like the last, even like the four years of this show, there's been so much cultural turmoil. Ooh, you know? buddy. Like, um, you know, more, I, I would say the closest, just as a creative or making a creative living, when I first started stand up was right around 9 11. And oh, wow. things were very, they, they were polarized in a certain way that not as much as now, actually. Oh, yeah, no. But it was basically polarized in a way of, you support every single thing that we are doing with this military operation, mm-hmm. or you are a traitor. There was or like you're these, un-American. Yeah, you're un-American. There was treasonous. There was there was a period there where there was no room for any of any dissent whatsoever, or or just any questioning of like, hey, maybe um, this wasn't the best way we went into this place. Ah! It was like, nope. Yeah. It was like, don't even say. And then after a couple of years, that died down. Uh-huh. Well, and, then the conspiracy started. But but right. But then it was calm overall culturally from around. I don't know, 2004, five, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. all the way until, you know, uh, to the 2016 presidential election. I wouldn't say that because it was pretty gnarly when Obama was running. But not like now. No, not like now, but it, it was. Yes, there's going to be like those, like, like little, like spikes. Yeah. And yes, those are always there. Mm-hmm. But then it ramped up. Yeah. And then the pandemic really ramped it up. Yeah. And, and with the conspiracies and with the, the rage over like the vaccine and all these issues that it, like looking back, I'm like, why were these ever trigger points for anyone? I know. Why are we so mad at each other all what, the time? Yeah. Why can't we just have conversations and disagreements? But within all that, you know, on our end, there were like talks a weekly of like, how much longer are we going to survive? Yeah. You know, is the culture going to just turn in a way that we're not compatible with anymore mm-hmm. and coming out of it? And yes, we're going into another election cycle and there's there's still plenty of things, but it's a, I feel like a different level of gratitude and a different level of like, thanks for letting us do this for as long as we have that it gives me more hope that we can survive future turmoil. Sure. And how lucky are we to be in that position? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. It's kind of like when you go through like a, a roller coaster or whatever, and then you come out the end and you're like, oh, okay, that was crazy, but I but I did it. I did it. And also, let's get in line and do it again. Let's get in line. Yep. And, and that's where I feel now with like the, the shows. Yeah. You know, it's like, whoo, man, what a wild fucking ride the last couple of years have been. Uh-huh. Let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. It is, yeah. It, it, is a, it is such a fun thing to do every week. And we've gotten to do so many cool things. And mm-hmm. I know we're going to talk uh, on the June bonus episode about summer camp and mm-hmm. what that looks like. And, you know, some more nitty gritty behind the scenes of what happened last year, what's going to happen this year. Yeah. Um, so excited for this year. You guys. Yeah. If you're an Annabelle or Robert, make sure you tune into that bonus episode because we're really going to get into it on that. Um, you know, this book that we mm-hmm. do every year, mm-hmm. it's like it, it is not without understanding that that is truly built by the fans. It's yeah. such a cool thing that- What, year four? That's crazy. Yeah four, yeah, four books. We're four books. I mean, it doesn't make us authors, but it's like, yeah. you know- Four of your books. Yeah. Collections of your stories. Yeah, four years of you guys just like showing up week after week. And we know there's so much content to consume now. You know, <laughs> yeah, when, when we started totally. this, there was, I, I wish that I could like look I could probably Google this. How many podcasts existed in 2019? Oh and how many podcasts exist in 2023? Because exponentially. Pe- it's just like now. TV. It just keeps growing and growing mm-hmm. and expanding and expanding. And it's to be able to have enough listeners show up every week that our sponsors stick around. Yeah. That you guys stick around. And it is such a privilege. Such a privilege. And we're just 
endlessly grateful. And sometimes I'm just like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> like a little like- imposter syndrome. I'm like, yeah, right, yeah. You guys, come on. There's probably something you like more than this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we and yeah, we just appreciate, you know, we've had missteps. We've misspoken mm-hmm. like the the honesty and the sincerity that we try to bring every week. We're so glad that that reaches you, that that touches you, that you understand that we're just human. You're just human. Yep. The connections are really special. They get really solidified at summer camp. Mm-hmm. I love those friendships. I love watching yeah. the the evolution of the fans amongst themselves. Yeah, I'm so proud to be a part of this community where it's like, <laughs> it was interesting. I, you know, it's like, you know, we'll all, uh, you know, speak maybe a little bit more candidly about like uh, certain socio-political things that are going on a little bit more like the secret suck or time suck. Yeah. And of course, sometimes people aren't going to agree. And of course, sometimes people are going to leave certain comments uh, in Facebook groups or on, you know, uh, iTunes. socials, you know, iTunes, yeah. you know, whatever. Okay. But compared to what's out there in most of the rest of the web. Holy crap. I, I felt so lucky to be a part of the community when, when um, I'm not even going to say whose uh, page it was on, a certain politician that I, I don't even like. I'm just curious about yeah. somebody I do follow and I'm like, well, listen to what they say. Oh, I know. And I just left a little comment about like, you know, just genuinely asking them like, so what do you think is going on with these book bands or what's your take on this? Yeah. And my God, I forgot I left a comment because, because I don't oh. spend a lot of time. I went back a couple of days. I'm like, oh, I wonder if anybody replied. Oh uh, boy. I'm sure they did. Oh, I think there might've been like, even like I got into this crazy nightmare underneath my comment of maybe a hundred replies. So Jeez. some crazy amount. None of them very good. Yeah, none of them sounded no. like anybody who actually read books. Nope. It was just knee-jerk, anger, paranoia, fear, insanity. Yeah. Where I'm like, I literally just ask a question and just like blew people's minds and like the, the crazy associations they made yeah. that because I asked that question, I must be this kind of person or that kind of person. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, maybe that's why people come here to escape that shit show. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And thank God, like, uh, our community is just not that. And like, none of us are perfect. Our community is not perfect. We're not but perfect. It's so much fucking better than most of the trash out there on the web. Yeah. And that almost makes me feel better than anything else we've done. Yeah. I do feel so, um, so proud of, or anything that we've been associated with, rather. Yeah. I do. We feel- didn't do it. You guys did. I feel so proud. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I'm used to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of, what you guys have done with what we have been able to give you, right? Like we give you these stories, but then you, you know, whether it's here or Time Suck, yeah. Secret Suck, the bonus episodes, it's like we do give you a piece of ourselves every week, but you guys don't ever take it and just shit all over it. It's like we might have yeah. intelligent debate about it. There might be conversation. There have times that we've gotten emails that are like, ah, da, da, da. Yeah. and it's like, oh, okay. Hey, thank you for kindly mm-hmm. and respectfully reaching out to us to say like, you didn't get that right. Yeah. Let me tell you why. And it's, we've learned and evolved because of that. Yes, it's so beautiful. And I there's not a chance in hell I would have ever guessed that that would come out of a supposedly true horror right. paranormal podcast. I didn't think that I would learn more about LGBTQIA plus issues. I didn't think I would learn more about various medical conditions. Or I'd, law enforcement struggles or, you know, like just yeah, on and on and on. Yes. It's so cool how mm-hmm. just this like one very simple commonality amongst us enjoying a scary yeah. story, a distraction has opened the door to learning about mm-hmm. military life. Things that really, you know, uh, are not a part of my life, but that it serves us yeah. to know more about because it makes us more empathetic people. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's been so, so thank cool. you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you for 200 episodes. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for for buying the merch and the books and coming to the, you know, the the haunted Halloween, you know, we'll be doing a third one this year. Uh, you know, thank yeah. you for we're, we're working on that in the background, so just stay tuned. But um, you know, thank you for coming to that. Thank you for coming to summer camp. Thank you for coming to the stand-up shows. Thank you for the gifts and the cards and the letters and um I'm getting emotional. It's yeah. just so beautiful and yeah, we're just so eternally grateful. If there was never another episode, if this was the end right here, I would be so proud of what we've given you and what you've given us in yeah. this beautiful relationship that we've formed with complete and utter strangers. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for letting me do 200 uh, episodes with my best friend. Oh, you're so sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see you guys for 201 next week and we hope we'll see you at 300 as well. And actually, before we end, um, Logan or Tyler, He's dying you, to eat this cake. I, I just want to like, if I'm listening, I, I'd be the weirdo that would be like, well, how does it taste? Like, is it a good cake? Are you the weirdo that's also like, who out there watched Is It Cake? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys want to know if it's actually cake? So if we could get just a little fork or napkin, anything that I can just like slice the corner off and taste. You're going to slice it with a napkin. Sure. Or fork. Yeah, fork. He would like a fork to slice it or a napkin to slice it. Uh, a napkin, a napkin to hold it on is what I was trying to say. I know, but it was pretty yeah. funny. Oh, oh no! I can just take a piece out of it. He didn't bring you a napkin. How are you going to uh, do it? Oh, it's cake. Oh, it is not chocolate. It is. It is vanilla. Maybe it's chocolate. underneath there. No, it's just um, it's a white white cake. That's probably what I asked for. Mm. Let me see. Let me just do this. Oh side. my god! Is it so it's good? really good. Okay, I'll do this side just in case it's like half chocolate, half vanilla. Oh man! Wait, I'm going to do this. Ooh, that is so good. The frosting. I, I don't know what the flavor is. Just white cake. Uh-huh. Sorry, guys. I'm licking it all. Buttermilk, maybe? No, you don't make buttermilk cakes, honey. No. Well, it's very, it's very good. It's like, it's, it's moist. And <laughs> the frosting is sweet, but not too sugary. It's banana nut. It's banana nut? No, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, I was like, What? Yeah, it's just a really. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a really simple white cake. The, mm. fo- the fondant is not too thick, which is pretty impressive because usually that stuff is gnarly. Yeah. Okay. I love sugar. You do. Yummy. Oh my god, I need to eat lunch. I'm so hungry. Yeah, me too. Okay, uh, well, guys, thanks for 200. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, the last thing I was going to say is um, just to thank. Uh, um, I'll skip the credits, you know, because we're just talking. Uh, thanks to Sarah Finch. For the second and third stories this week, uh, I found the first. And uh, yeah, enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Mad Magic Productions. <laughs> be so, your grandmother would be so mad at us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death.